thought the emotion said it all. Parking that car right on the yard of bricks. A celebration. Really like something we haven't seen. For a moment there, I thought he was going to go Elio 2.0, but Joseph Newgarden into the crowd. And um, Jake, to me, that was maybe my favorite moment of a race that had quite everything in the final 15 laps. You know, I think we mentioned at times over the month with Newgarden, is it the best to never have won a major? Is it Peyton Manning in 06? Is it, you know, he, he's got to have this on the resume. And I think the move in front of you, and then certainly the emotion there post-race, that to me tells the whole story. And Joseph Newgarden, he'll join us at 815, and we'll obviously ask him about it. But actions speak louder than words, and you could tell that was quite, quite the piano he got off his back with one hell of a pass there right in front of you. You know, I had made the mention, Kevin, after the broadcast yesterday, or, or in the broadcast, I should say, but after the race, when Joseph Newgarden who began his career, you know, coming actually to Indi- the Indianapolis area a lot to run go-karts. I remember the first time I heard his name. And it was Ar- it was actually Arnie Schrieben, who works for IndyCar, said, like, wait until you see this kid, Joseph Newgarden, that's going to be in Indy Lights this year. And I'm like, who is that? Like, Because usually you hear about guys as they come up. And he ran in Indy Lights, which for those that are unfamiliar, it's now known as Indy Next. And it's the final step in the ladder series in the road to Indy. And in the year that he was doing Indy Lights, he only did it for one season. I was the the post-race interviewer for the broadcast of those races. And I feel like I like became buddies with him because I literally interviewed him like seven times or something because he won so many races. And I remember when he won the Freedom 100, which, by the way, he is the only driver to win the Freedom 100 and the Indianapolis 500. But I remember when he won the Freedom 100, and I said to him, you know, it's not supposed to be easy here, right? And he laughed and said, like, yeah, well, you know, the car was great or whatever. And it's ironic because the Indy 500 was the one that eluded him. He wins it in his 12th start. I believe that ties Sam Hanks for the most starts. It, it, Hanks is either 12 or 13. But that was his white whale. That that was the last thing left on the resume of Joseph Newgarden. And I hope, although I understand, and we'll talk to him coming up, by the way, in an, a little over an hour. I, I don't know, Kevin, whether or not, and I'll be curious your guys' perspective on this. Do you feel like there is a, an, I'm not going to say an asterisk, I can never say that word, to it, but is there pause to it because of the condition or the way in which he won the race? Yeah, obviously it's a huge storyline. Um, the amount of red flags, when the last one was thrown, Jake, I think you just inevitably have people ask the question, oh, who was in second place when the red flag was thrown and who owns the Indianapolis Motor Speedway? I mean, that is a question that I certainly heard post-race yesterday. But I would think, and I, I'm sure... And I don't know if this is maybe the most ringing endorsement, but I think for 80-90% of the people in attendance yesterday, they wanted to see one more restart. That doesn't mean that it was necessarily by the letter of the law, and I think the rule book, and you can probably speak to it better, Jake, I think there's probably a whole lot of gray area when it comes to when to throw the red flag and when not to. So I don't know if you need to have you know, more crystal clear definitions on that, more black and white. But I think for where you're at as a series, the goal with this race 
I think an entertainment value is what should be the ultimate decision maker. And if I was Marcus Erickson and Chip Ganassi, I'd probably think the exact opposite of that. So I could be right. totally wrong. And there's probably, again, a 10%, 20% section of diehard IndyCar fans that listen nonstop and watch every single race that say, Kevin, that is the dumbest comment in the world. Uh, cold tires, all hell could have broken loose. Marcus Erickson should have won that race. But I think for the vast majority of people in the building yesterday, one more restart, give your product that, now have one of the more iconic moments really in, in Indy 500 history, I'm totally good with it. Well, the other thing, if you have a problem with the red flag, then, you know, need I remind you that the red flag prior to that, when Pato hit the wall, you know, there's there's some, and I will, not that anybody cares, and this is totally anecdotal to the race itself, but from a selfishly personal standpoint, when Pato hit the wall, I will admit and, and apologize to everybody that I think I completely butchered that call because Pato and Erickson were side by side going into the turn, and then I saw Pato spin and hit the wall and was so focused on the fact that here was a race contender that was knocked and I thought probably the guy that was going right. to win the race I would agree that that fell out of the race and I, I was so focused on addressing the fact the caution was going to come out and that his day was done that all of a sudden I see two more cars get collected and I'm like holy cow who is that and I couldn't tell who it was and I didn't want to misidentify them but I didn't identify them so I didn't say who the cars were and so in in my capacity there I, I failed people listening and apologize for that but at that point Kevin Joseph Newgarden was in the lead and that was an accident that would have been a five-lap caution flag. So if you don't red flag it right there, Joseph Newgarden wins the race. So by red flagging it right there, Joseph Newgarden's win would have been, quote, taken from him. You know what I mean? If, yeah. if, if he hadn't won. So then, so it kind of, what I'm getting at is the racing gods kind of balance it out in the end. Um, and then the next red flag, Jake, you would have people upset that Erickson passed Newgarden right before the start-finish line. Which, technically, he's allowed to do, but we would have been debating that today. Correct, correct. Should you be allowed to pass once the green flag comes out in turn four? I mean, now, passes on restarts happen before the start-finish line. Right. The the, We would have been debating something else associated with the red flag. The one thing that I would say, I understand why this criticism is out there. And I don't think it's an entirely unfair one. For a for a series whose fan base has pushed its chest out for a long time of not having contrived or orchestrated finishes, and for a series that did not typically see the red flag at the end of Indianapolis 500s, to have it happen in back-to-back years, I can understand why it would give people pause that they are becoming too reliant on it. Yeah, and that's one way to look at it, and I, maybe I'm glass half full with it, but I would look at it the other way and go back and watch Marcus Erickson versus Pato Award last year and watch Erickson and Newgarden yesterday, and you've created some pretty darn iconic moments that I would think the common race fan looks at that or the common sports fan and said, Holy 
Wow, that was awesome. Was that close was to, look at that. Well, was, I mean, that it's was a holiday. That was absolutely awesome. Obviously, a ton to get to on that front today. Kevin Bowen, Jake Query, and Mark Dykton. Uh, just us today from a local standpoint on these airwaves. Joseph Newgarden, eight fifteen. The president of Team Penske, Tim Sendrick. That's a Pike High School grad, right? Tim Sendrick. Uh, correct. Uh, he joins us at eight thirty. Mark Doug Bulls at some time. Yeah, yeah, I'm still trying to confirm. Okay, we'll have Doug Bowles at some point. Uh, before we get any further, as Jake said, it is a holiday. It is Memorial Day. Um, certainly the pre-race festivities, per usual, spoke for itself yesterday on that front. Um, so thank you to everybody out there that has made the ultimate sacrifice and for giving us the opportunity to attend yesterday's race, to do this show. Um, certainly we know that freedom is not free, so thinking about everybody here on Memorial Day from a veteran standpoint and those that have served in the military and that have lost their lives for us. I did think, Jake, probably the coolest part for me pre-race was the back home again Indiana flyover. Uh, I, I, at one point, and I'm sitting like at the end of the straightaway into one, I thought one of those planes was going to hit the pagoda. It was so low. So low. Unbelievable. You got the three planes coming like oh, kind of yeah. from downtown. And I guess... What would you say, kind of bisecting the track in two, if you will? We're used to the flyover just coming out of, what, turn four and right down the front straight? Correct. But now, I think it's just a couple of years in a row that they've done this, where they have done the back home again in Indiana, into the flyover. That was awesome. And I thought Jewel was very impressive for the I, National Anthem. You know, people were critiquing Jewel in the anthem. I saw a lot of people that were like, this was a disgrace to the anthem because... Really? And I'm like, what? I Like... I thought she Francis nice Scott Key's rolling in his grave, and I'm like, I didn't. I thought it was really well done. Now, the only thing I will say to critique Jewel, I saw someone else point this out. I did not notice it as it happened. Aren't you supposed to take your hat off during the national anthem? Oh, did she have, she have one of the big hats on? Now that I think about it, yeah. Mm-hmm. Please rise and remove your hats as we, yeah, you know. Who decides the red flag, Jake? Who's race, in that room? Race control. And those are you know, IndyCar employees, uh, yeah. what, a handful oh, yeah, of yeah. them, it's, and it, they it, all it, vote? I mean, I, Max Pappas, I believe, is a former asked, driver. I should have asked Dave first who the actual race control is. I think Lyondike may be in there, too. Um, but yes, that's who. So they sit in a room and they say what? That's a good question. I mean, I don't know, that, I don't know if there is a particular criteria. And should there be a criteria? Oh, I think there is. Um, it just seems like there's a whole lot of gray area in, in deciding, like, like, do we get that at Detroit this weekend, Jake? If a similar thing happens with one to go? Do we get that at, you know, insert race number six on the IndyCar schedule here? That's a good question. I mean, that's a really good question. I, I think... I mean, Marcus Erickson is pretty upset. We'll play the audio here in a little bit. Um, it seemed like kind of mixed from the drivers on whether or not it should have gone to a red flag there late. I think what Erickson was upset about was when they came out of the pits post-red flag, it was immediate to the green and felt like from a cold tire standpoint, that could have ended pretty poorly. Okay, who gets your award for... And by the way, we have the li- you know Newgarden was also the biggest mover. I right? know, yeah, he uh, he clipped Kyle Mylott by one, right? 
So yes, like, we've got Nick, and Nick takes home both of them. That's right. Two of the three, and then Catherine Leg first out. Is that right? Yeah. Uh, we gave away Catherine Leg on Carb Day, I think. Casey. Right. Casey. Now, Casey and Nick. Nick, you got two gift cards coming. You're going to be at Jay's Lobsters for the next year. So I always say this. Who is the driver? Remember I told you on Carb Day there are always three categories. Somebody you think is going to be a contender and just it turns out their car just doesn't cooperate and they are chasing it all day. That would be who? You know, honestly, after the first stint, I was ready to say Scott Dixon. Yep. But in typical typical Dixon fashion, he gets it done. Uh, what about Will Power? He absolutely is one of them. Finished 23rd. Was running towards the front along with Newgarden. He and Newgarden got towards the front. Um, and I'd say the two old guys, Jake. I don't know if we heard their names at all. You talking about Castro Nevis and Kanan or Castro Nevis, yep. Kanan and Marco? Uh, well, yeah, but I, and again, I don't know how much fanfare Marco had coming into Sunday. Uh, Kanan and Castro Nevis, right? 15th and 16th? Yeah. Yeah, Kanan was running up there for a while, like in the 8 to 10 range, and all of a sudden he kind of slid. Um, all right, how Connor about Connor Daly was a quiet eighth finish. I didn't hear his name. Yeah, last year he had sixth. Connor Daly continues to kind of build here. How about Devlin DeFrancesco? The Where did second, he end up? 13th. Yeah, I thought him and Eilat were probably the two, like, I mean, at one point, didn't it look like Eilat might not make the race? <laughs> yeah. Correct. I was thinking about this, too, watching. Was that the longest start to a race without, longest start to no. a 500 without a yellow? 20, a couple years ago, we went 150 laps. 150? Mm-hmm. And you could wow. thank Nick Yeoman. Uh, Nick Yeoman on the intercom asked that question, and then like 20 laps later, there was a caution. It's a 90 something yesterday. It's, Lap it's 90-ish. Like, uh, like you with rain. Hey. You, just, you don't mention it. How great was that weather? I mentioned it all last week. No issue whatsoever. I didn't feel a drop. The only drop you feel is from you know people sitting above you. The ice drops on top. So of your how head. was your race day experience? It was great. It was you know it was the first time we sat in one. Um, so basically, you get a great view, Jake, of all of one into two. So we saw, you know, pretty much Rosenquist lose it, and then Kirkwood, um, you know, upside down. And I know it's cliche, and you hear it on every telecast. But Jake, it is still amazing how quickly that AMR safety team can get to these drivers. Oh, and yeah. They got to Kyle Kirkwood in twelve seconds, it seemed like. And of course, the bouncing tire. We'll talk to Doug Bulls about that here. Um, in between the suites and that turn two grandstand, is that right? So in the golf yep. course parking lot? And, and you know... And that could have been really horrific. The one... I, I, I mean, thank goodness it was there, right? The area... And it, it hit a light pole and I think someone's car. Yeah, we'll and talk those, to And co- those tires are tethered. I mean, that, the, the odds... I'm not... Listen, I'm not trying to carry water for IndyCar or whatever else because it was a terribly frightening scene but the odds of that happening i i, I mean the, the tires are tethered so they're made to, to stay within the car obviously with a certain amount of force that's going to go out the window but i've you know i mean i've been to 38 indianapolis 500s i i have seen a tire go into the stands that would be into the stands once that was in 1987 i didn't see it but i mean i was at the race when that happened 
I've done 230 automobile races play by play, something like that, and and I've never seen that. I mean that that was like the flukiest of fluke. But thank goodness no one was hurt, obviously. Yeah, including the drivers and the spectators and the officials or whatever else. I mean that that was, you know, I don't know where the. I don't know what they end up doing with the tire. Does the guy get to keep the tire? I, you know. I, I thought I saw that uh, Doug Bowles got her ride home. See, imagine him going out like, what a race. What the hell happened to my car? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, you, we can laugh about it now, right? Sure. I mean, Rosenquist, I thought Jake had a great car for long, long stretches. He did, man. I, and then, you know, he goes out there. You know, the Pato Award incident happens right in front of you. You know, when you watch that Pato Award move, I know it's not the same part of the uh, racetrack, but it had a little bit of Takuma Sato, Dario Franchitti feel to it. You know, the guy making the pass on the inside. Totally. Kind of deep into a turn. Um, but it was a great race. I mean, again, weather was perfect. I, I, I really liked the vantage point from where we were sitting. You could see some pit action. So we, we had a pretty good view of VK and DePolo. And by the way, another guy that I thought we're going to look back on in five years and be like, oh, Alex Pillow got, what did he end up? Was a fourth? Yep. And like you forgot he got hit in. Yeah, he had to come back in and like get a new nose in and the, the pits, whole deal. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, a hell of a ride for him, even though, you know, we're, we're not going to look back on it and necessarily. Well, clearly he had a great it. car, right? I mean, the, to to do that. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it was great. How about you? I think it shows you, by the way, how long a 500 mile race is that you can have two guys that that, that happens to that both climb all the way back. Because, I mean, they were done at that point, right? right? Yeah. Um, I thought it would, a couple of things here. First, I'd like to know. You know how I, I am, Kevin. I like to do my surveys in the more, uh, when we do. Sure. The last holiday that we did a show, I can't remember when it was. But I think people know my cell phone number, right? Do a St. Patrick's Day show? <laughs> yeah, but I mean like a where we were the only ones in here. Five, my, my cell phone number, 523-9288. That's obviously a 317 area code. Five two three ninety two eighty eight. I want a roll call of people that are listening, because there was actually I was surprised there was a little bit of traffic coming into work, and I was surprised by that. I figured there would be nobody on the road, so I'd like to know if you're actually up and listening this morning, which we greatly appreciate if you are, um, and if you're working or if you just simply are up to listen to the post race analysis and coverage, which is go to get Gatorade because you're hungover. <laughs> that is also possible. I would think the um, podcast would be pretty popular today. Don't don't you think that? Yeah, that's probably a safer assumption. Um, so, my race experience on the day, I had, Kevin, an absolutely spectacular weekend with my friend Michael from Australia and his friends. It was like, I mean, they are they were just the most fun-loving, full of life. Those dudes are cool. Appreciative. They were so awesome. They made friends everywhere we went. They had so much fun. My mom went to the parade with us, and they they absolutely soaked in the parade. I was worried that they were going to think the parade, like, what are we doing here? They loved the parade. They had so much fun. They were taking pictures. They were clapping for everybody. They were cheering. You know, the, the high school bands would come by, and they're standing up and cheering for them and, you know, telling them, great job. And Did they try to climb on the potato? They, they were actually asking if the potato was real. Um, Will Power... And thank you to Christy, who delivered the Australian flag for them. And Christy, I went and picked up the Australian flag for them. And then they had it at the parade. And when Will Power came by, which was he was in the opposite lane of where we were sitting at the parade, 
Power saw the Australian flag and jumped off of his car while it was still moving and ran over and hugged them all and high-fived them. It was awesome. So yesterday, we did do a police escort, and I'm very, very grateful to Speedway Police and the IMPD for doing it. It makes things so much easier. But I will say, I've never had that happen before where you get the escort. And I mean, you know, beggars can't be choosers, right? But we got to 16th Street, and it gridlocked, and it took like, 45 minutes to get in and i've never had that happen which is fine i mean don't get me wrong but apparently 16th street yesterday somebody else a police officer told me they go 16th street is the biggest mess i've ever seen and i think it's because 30th is closed so the, the which yeah, right way there what, by coffin golf course yeah what way did you get in we came in off 10th um yeah 10th into uh into speedway and it was I guess if you're sitting in turn one, that's pretty good, right? Yeah. I, I mean, again, driving home, I thought, was very similar to last year. And, and part of me sits there, Jake, and says, okay, I mean, it's the second biggest crowd in the last 25 years. Should we just expect this? Like, I, I don't... I'm not going to pretend to be like, yeah, I'm going to sit in on these traffic meetings, and I'm going to come up with a great idea, and all of a sudden, they're going to look at Kevin Bowen and be like, why haven't we thought of that? You know, I know right. a lot of people are obviously frustrated by it, and we'll talk to Doug Bowles about that. I thought... I didn't venture, you know, to concession stands. Obviously, I had everything pretty much cooler-wise, but I didn't think the bathroom lines, and looking around, I didn't think the concession stands were too long of lines. And obviously, Turn 1 is a very populated area from a fan standpoint. So I thought outside of a little bit of traffic, which, again, I mean, welcome to the, what, the second biggest city in the state of Indiana. Um, I didn't think it was too big of an issue. I want to thank you know who you are. Those of you in the Northeast Vista, the one time that I had to sprint down to go use the restroom and the line was wrapped around the restroom building and the guys up front that immediately recognized what was going on. They carried you to the trough? Pretty much. I mean, they they clear out and they're like, I mean, they get it, right? And they're like, they just clear out and they're like, go, just, just go, just find a spot. And they, you know, they're kind of, it, then it becomes pressure packed to, you know, perform because they're easy now. Somebody yelling, do it! Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. Do it! <laughs> Mark Dighton, was this your first? This is my first. 500 experience? Yes. First carb day, first first 500. That's... I loved it. I, I somehow, I, I, I'm assuming I had the luck of the draw. I somehow avoided traffic both in and out of the stadium. I got a. Uh, and walk us through times, because I, I think I, you were a little bit later than yeah, most. Yeah, I, I left my house at 1040, and I was walking into the track at 1120. That's pretty wild. And you live? In Brownsburg. And then I left, and, and granted, I did leave before the race ended. I left at lap, lap 118, which is before all the cautions and red flags pretty much came out. And I was home at my house listening on the radio uh, 20 minutes later. You didn't shut these blinds. I'm sorry. I'm getting. Where's one of the guys from the trough that could have assisted you with that? (laughs) Joseph Newgarden led five laps. That is the third fewest of any winner in the history of the Indianapolis 500. Uh, Can I? Can I guess one and two? Uh, I I believe you're gonna get this pretty easily, right? Dan Weldon. Is Jake clapping for himself? Joe Dawson. Is that uh, right? The first, yes, the first American since Alexander Rossi, of course, in 2016. 14 drivers led at least one lap yesterday. That ties uh, the second highest now, total. Here's both you guys with the Rossi pick yesterday. Uh, excuse me? Mm-hmm. You I'm, heard me. You heard me. Did you not look at the, the fan website? Did I you see not? Alexander Rossi wins the 107.
that was mm. taped on that was taped on Friday before Carb Day, right? I believe you said that you were going with Rossi, but just to be different from me, you went no. With that was New taped Garden. on Thursday before Carb Day, mm. correct? I don't know. Yes, it was. It was recorded Thursday before Carb Day, after Carb Day, and I said, did I not say on the radio on Carb Day? Look. I think Rossi's got a really good chance, but after seeing Carb Day and because Kevin picked Rossi, which I didn't think was a bad pick, I, w- I for the sake of having more than one offer for this show, I believe Newgarden is going to win the race. Did I not say that, Kevin? Uh, the audio does not lie. Right. So play the audio of me saying I that. I see Alexander or, Rossi wins the 100 Or how about when they asked <laughs> all of our predictions on Friday officially for the website, who did I say? Well, I, I was asked, and I said, Kevin and Jake both picked Rossi, so you must have said, hey, actually, I changed it to Joseph Newgarden. A third time in the history of the race, we had a pass for the lead on the final lap. Of course, Sam Hornish in 2006, and Dan Weldon there with J.R. Hildebrand. It was the fourth closest finish ever, 92-2014-2006. Jake, you think we pulled the 33 drivers? 82 is not up there? Uh, I believe 92, 2014, 2006. Those are the three yeah, that, okay. closer finishes. 0. 0.974, 0. 0.0974 uh, for the margin between Newgarden and Erickson. We pulled the 33 drivers. They say correct move with the red flag. How many say yes? Uh, okay. Are they being anonymously pulled? Sure. Thirty-two say no, because the, any of them is going to think to themselves, "What would happen?" Although I shouldn't say that; it depends on whether they think of themselves as being in Erickson or Newgarden's position. I think you had you you certainly had guys on both sides of the fence post race yesterday, but I think you even had like a Tony Kanaan mention. You know, there is an element of. You're trying to create the best finish as possible. And I also think this. You know, a lot of people, oh, you know, it's contrived. That was, you know, stupid. That, 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 you know, you're losing the integrity of the race, all of that. Jake, I also think there's an element of you've got to put yourself in a position to benefit like that. Joseph Newgarden, over the course of 490 some miles, put himself in a position correct to if a red flag was needed correct he would be in the mix and again i go back to kevin if the if the second to last red flag doesn't happen when Pato hits the wall if they finish in a, so people that are saying and i'm saying this to be devil's advocate to an extent but people that are saying well in the old days when somebody hits the wall sorry the caution comes out and you just finish under caution like dario did three times yeah canon 13 in that scenario joseph newgarden's your winner because when Pato hit the wall... That would have been very close to cleaning it up in time. What's that? That would have been very close to cleaning it up in yeah, time. Yeah, I don't think they would have gotten it done because, I mean, they had to... Because you had two other cars. Yeah, and they had to check the safer barrier and everything else. I, he would have won the race under caution. You're right. It probably would have been three or four, maybe a one-lap shootout, but it would have been real close. Again, you got to put yourself in that position to be able to even benefit from the good luck. And Joseph Newgarden, Santino Ferrucci... How about this, though? Very impressive for him in, in, in third place. I mean, those guys, obviously, over the course of 190-some laps, they did their job to try and have and a chance at the end. I know we're up against it on a break, but Mark, what the hell? It's a holiday, right? I mean, yeah, well, who, 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 what yeah. is going on? So, right. how about this, Kevin? A few races does not a career make. I get that. You've seen the TV show The Wire, right? Yes. The thing that I thought was so brilliant about The Wire 
was each character, they had the season that was about the kids in the public schools. And then you realize that the main adult characters of the show, by the time the show is over, you can already see the pattern of which young character was going to grow up to basically become the the adult, you know, replace the changing of the guard with the adult characters. You have drivers in the Indianapolis 500 that are in the twilight of their career. Elio Castroneves, Tony Kanaan, Scott Dixon. I'm not saying those guys are all done right now, but they're towards the end of their career. And you can start to see who may be replacing them. Did Santino Ferrucci replace... Is he going to replace Castroneves as the young, excitable, fan favorite? Everybody loves him. Constantly fun. Always in a good mood guy. Is... And is Marcus Eriks... Is, is Pata Award going to be the next Tony Kanaan? Knocks on the door, knocks on the door, loves the event. Everybody wants to see him win and anticipates he's going to win and is in contention for like the first 10 years of his career and then finally breaks through. And is Marcus Erickson the next Scott Dixon? I don't mean in terms of totality of wins in the series, but at Indianapolis. Steady Eddie, not Mr. Excitement, but at the end of the race you go, holy cow, man, that guy's got a good car and he has just been hanging around and here he goes. And it's impressive. I mean, that guy yesterday at the end of the race, you could make the argument that Marcus Erickson, you know, I mean, he or Newgarden put themselves in position there where it's like, just hanging around, and then new one to make the move. Again, Joseph Newgarden starting 13th, started thir- excuse me, 17th yesterday, 17th. He was the biggest mover. Uh, it's the furthest back anyone has started with a win since Ryan Hunter Ray in 2014. Newgarden, 815. Um, the team president of Penske, that is Tim Sendrick at 8.30. Doug Bull is going to join us at some point as well. Kevin Aquire here on Memorial Day Monday, 93.5, The Fan. Joseph Newgarden gets it done in quite the climactic finish yesterday for the 107th running of the Indianapolis 500. The emotions set it all for Newgarden post-race, parking that car right on the yard of bricks. I didn't even know there was a little area that he could get into yeah, the crowd I, over there. I'm curious. I'm going to ask him how he even knew about that. I, I had no idea that was there. Secret entrance. Joseph Newgard into the crowd. Here was the Tennessean yesterday on the emotions of winning his first Indianapolis 500. Oh, just uh, just pure emotion. You know, I, I was trying to stay locked in. I was emotional the whole last 10 laps because we were. I knew we were in a position to fight for this win at the end, and I knew it wasn't going to be easy. It was going to come to some last lap shootout like it always is these days, um, which is exciting but stressful for us. Uh, but just been thinking about all the work. You know, I, I can't talk highly enough about the team. You know, they've worked so hard all month. It, it, it's so long to get to this point we're here for weeks working and grinding on this thing just for this one moment and that's what makes it so demoralizing when it doesn't work out i can tell you it is we're going to enjoy it tonight it's going to be amazing to win this uh, Joseph Newgarden joining us at 8.15, maybe slightly hungover based off those comments. Uh, the runner-up was Marcus Erickson on the flip side of it. The restart, of course, did not go his way as Newgarden passed Erickson in that uh, really right in front of Jake in turn three. What did Marcus Erickson think about that final red flag? Nah, I just thought it was an uh, unfair and dangerous end to the race. I don't think it was enough laps to do what we did. I think we've never done a restart out of the pits, and uh, you know we don't get the tires up the temperature. And 
you know, I think we did everything right today. I'm very proud of the number eight crew and then everyone in Chipkanas Racing. And I think I did everything right behind the wheel. I did an awesome last restart. I think I caught Joseph completely off guard and got the gap and kept the lead into turn one, which no one else had done all day. But, you know, I, I just couldn't hold it on the back. You know, I was flat, but I couldn't hold it. Um, so, yeah, I'm proud of us. Um, I'm, you know, congratulations to Joseph. He, he did everything right as well. So, you know, he's, he's a worthy champion, but I'm just very disappointed with the way that, em that ended. I don't think that was fair. I think he's right on all accounts there. I... Uh, it sucks for him the way it ended. It, it was going to go one of two ways. You know, with that kind of a finish, when you when it comes down to a one-lap shootout like that, one guy's going to be really happy and the other one's going to be really disappointed. <laughs> I couple, mean, it's kind of how it goes, right? A couple of big names to get to just in where they finished. Graham Rahal, just an unfortunate start to his, obviously, a wild month. The start yesterday with the battery. Not working for him. 22nd, Marco Andretti, 17th. Elio, 16th. Tony Kanaan, 15th. You saw Ed Carpenter with a penalty there somewhat late. He was involved. I think Benjamin Peterson, if I'm not mistaken, was that accident there late. 20th place. Uh, Jake, anybody else kind of stand out to you? Santino Ferrucci in third. Uh, commended, certainly. Yeah, a couple of the... Okay, here are the ones that jumped out. Ferrucci in third, I witnessed... The crowd going bonkers for Ferrucci. It, it reminded I thought he me got of some of the loudest cheers. He did. Um, Rossi, I thought was really good, and I thought it, towards the end, I thought Rossi was going to make a move because when they, if they would have had a couple of laps to you know under green, as opposed to it being fractured by the, those those flags, Rossi would have been interesting because if they cleaned up the outside line, what a shock! He was going to go there, right? Um, I'm just looking down the whole list here, so bear with me. Obviously, Pato Ward and Felix Rosenquist, great you know, cars all day long. Sato was steady but not late. aggressive to get that top 10, right? Um, kudos to Jack Harvey for finishing 18th. I didn't say his name all day, but started in the back, barely made the field, finished 18th. And you know one driver that I'm going to tip my cap to, and people are probably going to laugh at it. When it was announced that there were going to be 34 cars in the race, everyone just assumed it was a foregone conclusion that R.C. Enerson would not make the show. And he not only made the race, at one point R.C. Enerson was holding on to his lead lap, and he had the leaders behind him, and he was running at the same pace. He, was, he wasn't by any stretch of the imagination being difficult, but he was holding his line, and he was running at good pace. The car ended up conking out but i thought rc enerson for somebody that a lot of people thought wouldn't even make the race showed himself to be a, a fine driver in in the race itself i thought he did a nice job i don't think the top 10 offered a single surprise would you agree with that yeah that's that is a that's an accurate statement joseph newgarden marcus erickson santino ferrucci polo and rossi that's your first five six through ten scott dixon takuma sato connor daly colton herda and Renus VK. Uh, tonight, we do get two of the best words, certainly in sports. That is a Game 7. Boy, literally the eyes were starting to go up and down on Saturday night. Or Yeah, I guess it was Saturday night, right? I'm like, am I going to be able to stay up for this Game 6? How about Derek White's tip in there to keep Boston's season alive? It, I don't think it's hyperbole to say, and again, what happens the rest of the way will probably influence this. 
That's one of the greatest plays in NBA history. I saw somebody say, would Brad Stevens trade that shot for Gordon Hayward's going down? Oh, I think you would take the Hayward, right? No, no question. Well, one's for a title and the other's just to keep your season alive. You know what I mean? They get it done tonight. Seven yes. and a half point favor, boss. Jalen Brown said, don't let us win one. Unbelievable. Here First they are. time in NBA history you've ever had a home team down 3-0, force a game seven on their home floor. We'll see if they can complete it tonight. Just a wild finishing game six on Saturday night. All right, the rest of the show looks like this. We'll certainly focus a whole lot on the 107th running of the Indianapolis 500. Joseph Newgarden, 815. Tim Sendrick, the president of Team Penske, at 830. And, Mark, we've got Doug Bowles at 930. 930, correct. I'm a little confused on why Shaq wasn't there. Like, didn't we think, I mean, wasn't there a good chance the whole time that the Eastern Conference Finals could have gone six games? I I, kind of wanted the same about that. I'm like, this didn't sneak up on people, right? Like, if you were to say before the start of the Eastern Conference Finals, hey, will this series go six? I'd probably say, yeah, 50-50 chance, maybe better than 50-50. Totally agree. That was odd to me. And Game 7 wasn't until tonight, so couldn't he have taken, like, a private jet from Miami to Indy and then a private jet from Indy to Miami? Or back it, to Boston. Maybe I mean, commercial airlines, yeah. a little a little expensive yeah, for Shaq around Southwest. I'm sure Memorial Day weekend. Yeah. It didn't. Uh, it didn't appear as though the people in the snake pit missed him. I, I don't mean that as a slight of him. I'm saying like the show went on and it was packed. I I, I could feel the ns, ns, mm-hmm. ns, and like the the fire. I, I'm telling you that crowd yesterday. I took a video of it. There wasn't a single. I'm not kidding you. At the start of that race, I looked. I didn't see a gap anywhere anywhere it was less than 5,000 grandstand seats available on Friday you would have to think that number shrinked big time over the course of the weekend I mean you would think they got some good walk-up I was tickets anxiously I was sitting there anxiously awaiting anxiously awaiting to find out who the Titans next draft pick was going to be no oh, god I had a feeling there's an NFL draft joke there somewhere. You written that, now, Kevin Aquari on the other me, side. No, no, let me just say this, and then I'm done, and then I'm off my soapbox for at least five minutes. We are way over. It's it's a holiday. No, we're not getting paid overtime. Can you honestly tell me? Can either one of you honestly look me in the eye after being at that crowd yesterday? Now, now that it's tangibly in front of us, the point that I've been trying to make forever. Can you honestly tell me when you looked around? that that crowd was 60% what was at the NFL draft. Joseph Newgarden coming up in 30 here. Kevin Aquari on a Monday. No further questions. I think one of the things I've always really respected about Joseph Newgarden is, and feel free to correct me if I'm wrong, I've never gotten the feeling that he is flirted with the idea of leaving IndyCar. I always feel like, from a public standpoint, he's kind of been... Hey, I'm in this for the long haul here. And I think from a what winner would benefit the series the most moving forward, I think I said Pato Ward last week, I would have probably put Newgarden second on that list. Yeah, I would agree. You know, this is a kind of an uncomfortable thing to say. Well, it's not uncomfortable. Hell, I don't care. But other people might find it uncomfortable. I think performing in the trough might have been a little bit more uncomfortable <laughs> than what you're about to say. Um. Again, I, I mean, I've I've known Newgarden since he really was a kid. He is an he is just a, a very very like I mean he's a nice looking he is like the wholesome all American handsome 
chiseled looking guy. Like he is literally what you would sculpt. Like if you were doing a movie, like a, a Pixar movie about IndyCar drivers, and you had to pick like the American hero, isn't that what you how you would exactly mold the look of the? Like he looks like Max Headroom. I mean, he, he he literally. I look at him and I go, "This guy's really personable. He's very smart. He drives for the best team. He wins the Indy 500." Like, if there's not a guy that is going to become the face of a sport that helps carry it to the next level in this country, if it's not him, who's it going to be? If it doesn't latch on with him, who's it going to latch on with? Uh, This is kind of wild. Last year, Maddie and I went out for a drink after Qualls and ran into him, Newgarden, and he was pretty mad about his qualifying last season last year for for the 500 um if i remember correctly he kind of got a late draw didn't make the fast 12 you know penske's had issues i mean hell they had issues in qualifying this year with will power being the only one in the first four rows and that was the outside of row four and so you know maddie was like should i go i, I would like to go say something to him you know I, I i i follow him on instagram i'm like oh geez so i'm like all right fine go ahead and say something to him and I felt like it'll be this is based off Maddie's interaction with him. Maddie came back and was like, he was really nice, but she also like asked him like, oh, you know, sorry that your day didn't go too well. And Maddie's like, I could feel his anger about that. Like I could feel how passionate he was that he potentially just let another 500 kind of go without winning it. But at the same time, in that moment. You know, and again, this is two, three hours after his qualifying attempt. He still had the wherewithal to say, you know, all right, here's some 30-year-old woman, and I'm going to make, you know, have the time of day to talk to her. You know, it's like Maddie asked her for a picture. But I just feel like Newgarden has a really great grasp of it, of like, clearly he is a super passionate individual about racing and all of that, and he knows the elephant in the room that he just got off his back yesterday. But he also knows that, he is on the front of every IMS and IndyCar program in terms of this is our poster child, and we need to make sure that that guy realizes it. And I think it's really difficult to kind of achieve that grasp, and I think he still has a crazy amount of drive, but also when needed, he can you know kind of turn it on. I think that he, first off, Joseph Newgarden has told me before that he considers himself an introvert. Which I think is fascinating because he's got a great personality. You would never know that. Watch him in interviews or anything. Totally. Um, when Newgarden first signed with Ed Carpenter, and at that time it was Sarah Fisher Hartman Racing. Uh, so no, I'm sorry, it was Sarah Fisher Hartman Racing, and then and that was kind of in coordination with Ed Carpenter, and then it was Carpenter Fisher Hartman Racing, um, and that obviously just became Ed Carpenter Racing. When when he left Ed Carpenter Racing to go to Penske, which seemed to be a foregone conclusion, I always admired this about him. I mean, yes, he ultimately made the move, but I think he felt terrible about it. I think he was really reluctant to disappoint people. I think he was really reluctant to disappoint people. And um, I'll be curious to ask him how much of winning the Indy 500 finally came down to the fact that he had to worry less about disappointing other people and focus on just simply whether or not he was going to be disappointed. Because I think he is a, a guy that, that wants to make sure that people are 
happy with what he's doing. I, I, I do I do think the world of him is a guy. I think he's a wonderful guy. You know, when you think back to a handful of years ago, Jake, you know, he's at the peak of the sport in terms of series winner and, you know, he's up there every year from a point standpoint and he's winning on, you know, street courses and road courses and other ovals not named IMS. But can you imagine just naturally how he had to feel watching Will Power win in twenty eighteen? Watching Simon Pagano win in twenty nineteen. I mean his yeah. teammates winning the the most important race and you got to wonder how mclaughlin will feel now right sure and then it just started to grow about okay the best two have never won in indianapolis 500 and all of a sudden he's got his ninth start and his 10th start and yesterday was his 12th start and that tied the most starts without an indy 500 win is that right tony canon and was it stan hanks well sam hanks sam was, hanks i got a hanks was let me see how many hanks did i, I was always wrong about that stat canon was one behind hanks i thought for some reason that Hanks and Kanan were tied. Sam Hanks had the record. Sam Hanks won the Indianapolis 500 in his 13th start. So Newgarden and Kanan both won in their 12th. So they're second. The other thing I'm curious about and I thought was fascinating is, you know, Newgarden and the Marcus Erickson audio just kind of alluded to it a little bit uh, earlier. Newgarden did not go for that pass on Erickson. And maybe this is because Erickson got a, such a great jump off that final restart. Jake, he didn't go for it down that main straight. He went for it kind of in front of you, or basically down the back stretch into three. And then if you watch the final like snake on the main straightaway, I have never seen since the, the snake or the dragon, whatever you want to call it, since you know Pagano was the first or whoever was the first that, that really exaggerated it. I said to my said to Maddie and my brothers in law, that looked like a snake on drugs. <laughs> it, it from our vantage point, and again, we're sitting on the end of the straightaway, start of one. It looked like he was going straight into the pit boxes. Right. When he veered way below that white line. Now, I know there are some people out there that are like, that was incredibly dangerous. Like, they need to change that rule, this and that. That's not necessarily the topic that I want to have today. But for a guy that has never really been up there at that place, Jake, because, you know, Newgarden has not been in one of these final lap back and forth. Right. He's just not. Third was his best finish, and it wasn't even, um, you know, some, some sort of back and forth. It's kind of crazy to imagine him you know i guess trying that for the first time at that place and like why did he feel the need he had to go that low like if he would have stayed you know in, in a you know just kind of try to kind of kiss that uh attenuator and, and not, obviously not hit it but try to get as close as possible does he think erickson would have passed him I'm, yeah, that's a good question i mean i you know the, the the air i mean these guys have figured out the the aerodynamics of of disrupting the air and you know that's an area that alex polo if alex polo had not gone through what he did two years ago with castro nevis i don't know that alex polo finishes in the top five this year but i think he learned the aerodynamics of traffic and and manipulating air and when to pass and those kinds of things, right? I mean, you're always learning. Yeah, I would like love to see an overhead of that final lap and the line that Newgarden took and the line that Eric took. Like one of those invisible things? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Because Newgarden didn't take the full snake bait. And then once he got the lead, Erickson did take it. So I, I'd love for, you know, maybe Joseph to explain a little bit more with that. He joins us in 15. Tim Sendrick, the team president of Team Penske in 30, and uh, Doug Bowles coming up in the 9 o'clock hour. Kevin Aquari here, uh, recapping the 107th running of the Indy 500. Joseph Newgarden led just five laps yesterday, the third fewest 
for a winner, but obviously he led the most important one with one hell of a push there on that 200th and final lap. Good Monday morning to you. We've been talking about it here all Monday long. Kevin Bowen, Jake Query, and Mark Dykton. Joseph Newgarden join us here in a few minutes. Tim Sendrick, uh, he is the strategist, right, for Newgarden? Correct. Uh, he's correct. going to join us coming up. President at, of Team Penske, and he also is in the pit box with Newgarden. 8.30, the Pike High School product. And then Doug Bowles coming up at 9 o'clock. You know, Jake, it was one of those races where relatively smooth through the first 90, 100 laps. I thought it was, I thought it was kind of a um, rather jumbled group as well. Like, I didn't feel like we got any, and you know, obviously yellows can lead to some of this. I didn't think we got like, you know, massive, hey, the first 10 is, you know, 10 seconds ahead of the next 10. Um, it seemed pretty closely compacted. And then all of a sudden there, certainly the last 15, 20 laps, whether it was, the Felix Rosenquist crash, which took Kirkwood out, or the Pato Ward crash, which then Augustine Canapino and Simon Pagino got caught up in as well. Uh, then all of a sudden, chaos for the final 20 laps. Yeah, you know, the late in the race, I will admit that, that at times I get confused by this. It's like algebra for me, and that is like when you had that situation where you had Hunter Ray i lot there was a third one i can't recall and then you looked at the leaderboard and you had like Pato was fourth Newgarden was fifth erickson was sixth and you knew that that was essentially the lead but technically they weren't in the lead at that point right because you get off sequencing pit cycles coming through and that gets confusing to me of like wait a minute like who's in the lead here who's not the staggered pit stops becomes confusing because then you get like two different groups this group that if such and such happens they're going to be okay this group that that is legitimately the one that's been running up front and of course in the end it all balanced itself out where group two which was the ones that were running up front all day um you know ended up towards the front Pato, for example pitted and came out and i'm like wait a minute like he's in second i'm like is he on the lead lap like i was confused by it i, I think people don't realize that you know, I don't have anything up there, right? I don't have. A, I mean, I have the the jumbotron. But you're relying on Davey Hamilton and Mark yeah, yeah, yeah. just like all of us. Are. And thank goodness. And by the way, esoteric inside baseball here. Rick Evans, who is our chief engineer, worked tirelessly. I mean, endlessly. He lives in Bloomington. He drove up countless, countless, countless days over the winter and the spring to install new intercom systems for us in the turns where we could hear one another to be able to talk and, and have conversation off air to keep each other abreast of what was going on. And Rick was the real hero yesterday, undoubtedly. But yeah, that's so, so it does get confusing. The other thing, and I, I can't be the only one that this happens with, Kevin, but you know the big video boards? Every once in a while, the video boards would run an ad for Pennzoil. And, and I thought, huge, caution. Oh, yeah, every I know, time. I know. This huge yellow yeah. banner goes over the top with Pennzoil. And you're like, oh my gosh, caution flag. It's like the NFL score graphic when they have like yellow on yeah. the score graphic. And I'm yeah. like, wait, is that a flag on the play? Yeah, yeah totally. Could not agree totally. more on that front. Great day, though. Again, just the third time in history you have had a pass for the lead on the final lap. Sam Horner should know six. Dan Weldon in 2011. It is the fourth closest finish in the history of the Indianapolis 500. Uh, 52 lead changes, the third most in the history of the race, uh, and the first 500 
ever with a red flag on three separate occasions, non-weather related. Um, we've got Joseph Newgarden coming up here in a few, so let's take a quick break here to make sure we've got plenty of time because Joseph Newgarden and then followed right after that with the team president from Penske. That would be Tim Sendrick. So Joseph Newgarden on the other side here. Kevin Aquari recapping the 107th running of the 500. Of the Indianapolis 500 with just two turns to go. Marcus Erickson on his heels. Newgarden into turn number four. Erickson looks to the inside, looks to the outside. Newgarden has a two-car length lead. Advance Auto Park, twin checkered flag in the air. It's a battle at the start-finish line, and Joseph Newgarden will win the Indianapolis 500-mile race. Danny Hamilton, he finally gets the monkey off his back. He got the monkey off his back. Unbelievable. Great job. I mean, that end was amazing. Quite honestly, Kevin, when they went past me... Love that song, Mark. I thought... I did think when they were going into four, he's going to win the race. I I didn't think Erickson was going to be able to get him. But that was a pretty breathtaking finish. We can critique, and rightly so, the decision about the red flag. And, you know, I I had concerns of, okay guy that drives for the man that owns the series and the track wins the race because of a red flag and how that would be perceived but it there's no doubt that it made for an exciting finish you know when he um when erickson got that jump on the final restart it was such a big dap coming down the front straightaway into one i'm thinking oh man is that is that too big and all of a sudden in between one and two new garden closed that gap so quickly and then obviously made the pass to the outside and i know it wasn't the exact same pass but correct me if i'm wrong jake i feel like new garden passed erickson for the lead on a restart God, probably would have been like around maybe lap 150 160 and i'm curious if he knew you know if anything happened on that pass that maybe he kept in the back of his mind for that final one certainly the red flag just one lap you know things sure his mind just had to be racing like no other um knowing everything that he's been through and the fact that this is the one race that has you know has eluded him were you confused i think some people were were you confused at the end whether or not they were on the final lap or going to the white flag um, I thought you guys did a nice job explaining that it was just going to be one flag or uh, one lap. Because I will admit to the fact of like, I could see how people would have been confused by that. You know what I mean? I thought you guys, yeah, I, I, I thought I thought you guys did a nice job in making sure that we were we were abreast of that. Well, joining us now on the Payless Liquors Hotline, probably still. As a matter of fact, in a fascinating, I think, um, maybe a good karma. In December of 2021, Joseph Newgarden paid a visit to the Estes Dairy Farm. He met with Kerry Estes, who at that time was named as a rookie milk presenter for the Indianapolis 500-mile race. And then yesterday, Kerry handled him, handed him the bottle of milk and the weight of the world came off the shoulders of Joseph Newgarden. Joseph, congratulations. You did it. How cool is that? I, I saw Kerry there, and you know I've been to his farm. I met his family, and I, I know exactly where that milk came from. So it was very cool. You know, it was a, a big deal to be a part of it. And, you know, I, this, this year more than ever, I've just felt the appreciation to, to be in this race. And, 
and to have an opportunity to go for it. Um, and it was it was just amazing the whole thing. You know, it really come full circle from my side. You know, go, coming up here when I was younger with my dad to, to race go karts and you know trying to get into the sport and to be here today with everybody. Um, yesterday, I should say, with everybody was just it was really thrilling. You know, when you Joseph, it's interesting because and I had mentioned this earlier on the show. You know, I've I feel like I've known you since you were a kid, even though you were a young man, right? But you've but but from a racing standpoint, your your evolution and your maturation as a driver. When you got out of the car, what I saw was a guy that not only was soaking in the fact that he had just won the biggest race in the world, but a guy that felt like finally he could look at the three hundred and thirty five thousand people and say, I did it. I, I finally did it because everybody here had expected me, maybe even unfairly, to have done this by now. Is there an element of truth to that relief that overcame you? I think for sure, you know, to a degree that that's accurate. Um, you know, the, the Indy 500, I think, stands alone as as the hardest race in the world to win. I, I you know, I, I definitely believe that. And it, it is an amazing event. There's there's nothing like it. There's nothing that rivals it. It's you know the single, you know it's the it's the greatest spectacle in racing for a reason. You know the name is so fitting, and there's so much pressure to it. And I, I don't I don't subscribe to you know the 500 being a necessity to make a career. I think I think most people do though. I think that's you know that is the pressure you feel when you're here. That 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 is that is the requirement. You know to have a complete career. And, you know, I think about all the people that probably either should have or could have won the race. And, you know, it's it's just not easy. It's not, it isn't, it, This place doesn't give anything to anybody. It doesn't owe anybody anything. You know, it, 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 they don't just get handed out. You got to go earn it. And, you know, sometimes it can be the cruelest place in the world. But it, it is, it's an incredible honor to be able to win the race and to secure victory here. And... You know, for me, it, it it has definitely lifted a weight. You know, whether that weight should be there or not is a different discussion. But there's a weight to it, and it it was lifted yesterday. It, I feel different, <laughs> and uh, and maybe not for the reasons that everyone would think. Joseph, congratulations. Um, it was an unbelievable finish, of course. I thought the celebration was maybe more incredible than what you did on the final lap. How spontaneous was the celebration? Did you know there was a gap in the fence there that all of a sudden you got to people that have been slamming beers all day? <laughs> I've been wanting to do that for years. <laughs> I, I, no one, I've not told. There's about one person in the world that, that knew that I wanted to do that. I've been wanting to for yeah, ever since I was a rookie here in, in 2012, I thought it would just be incredible to to go into the energy of this crowd. There's nothing like the Indy 500 crowd. It's just a it's a magical place, as as we all know, and um, it's really uh, it's something to behold in person. And you know, I, I said if I if I'm lucky enough to win this race, that's what I'm doing. I want to I want to go into the crowd. I knew exactly where that location was. I've been scouting that for years, and uh, I, I couldn't wait to get down there. I was, I was. Everyone went quiet on the radio, which was funny. I, I was on the the cool down lap, and I was freaking out, and I was trying to message the team and tell them where I was going, and just I had no response. Everyone was gone. 
So, I, you know, obviously I thought that was probably a good thing, but it was just, it was funny that no one was responding to me after the race. Could you walk us through your emotions sitting there on pit lane before, I guess, the final red flag and the line that you ended up taking on lap 200? How did that play out from your vantage point and passing Marcus there on the backstretch? Yeah, you know, really, this race could have unfolded probably ten different ways. I'm, I'm sure more. Uh, it, you know, you just don't know what's going to happen. I mean, I, we didn't predict three red flags. You know, we didn't even predict the first red flag. You know, if we could have, we we would have gone green to the finish um, before that. That you know, before the first red flag, then you know, we were sitting in a good spot. Um, the second red flag was a bit awkward. And then the last one, as you said, it was just it was a single lap, and I knew that you know this this was what it was all going to be right here, and we had to put it on the line. And you know we were in a good spot; we really were. We we were where we needed to be, first or second, is you know where you, where you wanted to be positioned there at the end. Um, with ten to go, maybe maybe you could have still been third, but when it really got down to it, you needed to be first or second. And you know I didn't have anything planned; I just knew I needed to get to the lead as quickly as I could, and I didn't I didn't get him on the front straight. He actually got a really good jump, and I think that worked to my advantage. And obviously, you saw the snaking that's been happening here. I guess people are calling it the dragon. Um, but you know the, you know the the weave that has to happen to try and break the draft is just really necessary because it's so much easier to to tow up to a car than what it's been in years past. And so Marcus was trying to break the tow, and you know we had an amazing runoff too. And I thought I thought we'd probably be pretty good to the line, but he had a great run back at me coming off turn four. So I I just had to be as aggressive as possible. I just you know, I wasn't going to give this one up. I mean, we were in position for it. And so I was going to be as aggressive as I could off the board. That's what you saw me do. Joseph, I'm sure you know. Joseph Newgarden is our guest, the winner of the 107th Indy 500 on the Payless Sickers Hotline. Uh, obviously, there has been critique, certainly from Marcus Erickson, I mean, understandably, about the decision to red flag it at the end. It worked out for you. I thought personally the racing gods kind of balanced out because I thought when Pato hit the wall, my first thought was Newgarden just won the race because it's going to go to caution here for the last five laps or whatever it was. And they red flagged that. And then, of course, you get another one in there. But can you uh, – and I know it worked out for you, rightly so. But can you can you understand or speak to the criticism that people have of doing the red flag when there's only one lap left? Yeah, look, I'm, I'm just going to tell you, I think they – they did the right thing to throw another red, you know, I mean, where does it stop? You know, that would be my question. Why did to your point, Jake, why did we even, you know, then you'd go back and say, well, why did we even throw the first one? And I, I really, I get the effort these days to give us a good show to the finish. I think actually the second red flag, you know, if we, if we didn't get that one, that would have been the most, most shamed to, to finish under. It was such an awkward restart. You know, we had, we didn't even get a restart, and then it went red. And, and if the race ended on that one, I think that would have been more silly. So I, I, I thought it was great that they had a final lap shootout. I've got no problem with it. You know, Obviously, it worked out great for us, so we're all happy. I mean, everybody else is leaving with a broken heart, except for one team. And But that's Indianapolis. and it's, that's I've, I've lived that life 11 years before this, um, but I have no problem with it. You know, I, I've... If anything, I think about the numerous races. I mean, I, there's way more than a handful uh, amount of races where things, you know, I said, I wish that was different, you know, or, or I felt like we didn't get luck or, or whatever you want to call it. And I don't think we got lucky yesterday by any means, but you know what? We didn't get any bad luck. We had no bad luck yesterday. And 
that was that was just that was big for us to secure the win was to not have anything go against us. So I was I was really thankful they did what they did. I, I'm I'm glad the crowd got a great final lap. You know, we 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 raced to the line, and not not that there's anything wrong with winning under yellow. I've I've won races under yellow, and I'd be happy to win here in that situation if that's what it would be. But it's definitely a little more special to win under green. Joseph, I'd said this earlier, and I'm it's probably overly Freudian of me, but I'm curious your thought on this, or if you've stopped to think of in this term. When you were a young guy in the series, a rookie, I remember when you started in the front row in Long Beach and they had you doing videos going around interviewing people and you literally Joseph Newgarden was the guy that IndyCar knew IndyCar radio knew television knew that if you needed a soundbite if you needed a a, a quip if you needed any accommodation Joseph Newgarden was the guy that was going to do it you were always accommodating you were always gregarious you told me that you were an introvert which I found fascinating but I think that you were always, and I, I always respected this, but I think it was really important to you to deliver to as many people as you could and do what was asked of you. And then I think your career really came to form when you finally decided that you had to focus actually on what Joseph Newgarden needed as opposed to what everyone else did, which was perfectly within your right. And I think that that's when everything came together for you and you finally got your white whale at Indy. Am I overthinking it, or do you think there's some truth to that? No, it's probably, you know, um, it's very nice of you, Jake. You know, you've, you've been so kind to me, as as many have in, in our sport. Um, but that's probably true to some degree. You know, I, I tried to go over the top more often than not to, to do everything possible. You know, I, I felt the pressure early in my career. I mean, I don't know how you can't, you know. That, that, I mean, I was, I was not here on some check. You know, it was it was – I got an opportunity to, you know, drive Indy cars when I was 20 years old. And, and, um, you know, you either keep getting that opportunity and you stick around or you don't and you get fired and, you know, that that's, that's the end of the career. So I just wanted to do everything I could to, to, you know, to stay here and to, to keep getting an opportunity. And, you know, there's a point where that shifts and you, you build some confidence. and I think you build some credit up and, you know, people want to give you that chance more and more. Um, but it's, it's hard, you know, I, I am an introvert and to, you know, to try and, and please everybody is very difficult. And even in our sport, it's difficult in any sport. And I think any facet of life, but it is very difficult in motorsports with all the demands, and, you know, the, just the, the fans, the partners, everything that we have. And I tried to do that, but there was a shift where I, I, I had to, I just had to pull back from it. And I'm like, you know what? I'm just not gonna, I'm not going to please everybody and not everybody's going to like me. And that's, that's okay. You know, we just got to kind of focus on the career side of it and, and you know, what I really want to achieve because it's, it is so important to me. I love racing more than anything. I'm, I'm very, very competitive. So there was a shift, but I, I still try and do as much as I can. You know, it's just, it got to a point where you're, you're just not going to please everybody. Joseph, last one from me. Um, how was the party last night? Uh, it was good. You know, it was great to be with the team. Tim Sindrick, our president, um, definitely sorted out a great time, <laughs> which was awesome. He's, you know, he's he's a Hoosier. He he knows all about this race. He's been growing up here as a kid, and so um, it was cool to win one with him. You know, I I just was like, you know, you start to it starts to wane on wane a little bit after being here for, I guess what I don't even know what this is. It's either my seventh or eighth year at Penske, and. You know, it's not. I, I I started looking at my bosses with 
you know, feeling like I was a disappointment that we hadn't won it together. And so, you know, for Tim to, you know, be there last night and the whole team, it just, it really, it was really special. It was just special to be a part of it. And it's, you know, it's not easy as you guys know. And I just, it, yeah, it was, it was fun. It was just fun to, to have that moment with everybody that really made it happen. It is a team sport, no doubt. I mean, look, it's not just about driving the car well. Everything's got to go perfectly. you got to have just a rock star crew around you, and, and they're the ones that get it here um, to race day, and, and they're the ones that, that really push over the line. So it was just it, it was special to have that camaraderie last night. You know, it's, it's like a feeling in a club that, you know, we were all in together that you just you don't you don't realize until you actually do it. All told, in the record books, Joseph, it will go down as a win that took two hours, fifty eight minutes, and twenty one seconds. That is more or less than the amount of sleep you got. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's a close that's a close over under. I, uh, <laughs> I, I think it's slightly more, unfortunately. Not good. Well, I'll tell you what, it was well deserved. <laughs> it was well deserved and milk does a body good when you gotta replenish uh sometime tomorrow. But congratulations. I, I, I speak, Joseph, for a lot of people that have seen it from the beginning of your career. Um, just to see the overall joy and the release, the relief, if you will, for you. It was well deserved. And it's not my job to root for people but i was happy for you because i know what it meant so congratulations and enjoy all that comes with it well thank you guys thanks for all the amazing coverage as well you know just an awesome month so looking forward to the next one congrats joseph thanks it's joseph newgarden right there on the payless liquors hotline jake i think you heard it in his words there just the amount of relief i mean literally i've he said it right there. I felt like I was a disappointment at times to Team Penske. And we brought it up earlier when Will Power wins in 2018 and Pagano in 2019. And um, how does he not feel a little bit of the weight of the world? And how great is it that he scouted the celebration the, out? That's beautiful. How awesome that's the, is that? That's the greatest part of the whole thing. <laughs> um, joining us now on the Payless Sickers Hotline, the other guy that you just heard him mention who not only is a graduate of Pike High School and is the president of Let's go Red Devils. Team Penske, that's right, but also a new member of the Indianapolis Motor Speedway Hall of Fame. And Tim Sendrick, I'll begin with this. I found it fascinating, and I think it speaks to your team, that you said yesterday that you started to feel bad for Roger Penske that it had been you know, a whopping four years since the team had won the Indianapolis 500, the 19th now for the team in general. I'm not going to ask you if that was the most satisfying of them all, but it was probably one of the harder earned of them all. Safe to say? Yeah, without without a doubt. Without a doubt. Let's, let's begin with this. Um, you know, as a strategist, when you're sitting there and you're trying to, to kind of figure out the way a race is going to fall, I guess a two-part question in the, in terms of that two-car for Joseph Newgarden. I saw him in carb day and thought to myself, that car looks really good in traffic. And as a result of that, I, I thought Newgarden had a really good chance. But, but at what point in the race did you start to realize that, in fact, that car was going to be able to get up where you needed to be when you needed to be there? Actually, it was the first stint. Um, my, my biggest concern was how the first stint was going to go because actually on carb day, um, when the track was green there, uh, the first stint that we did, um, we tried to do a full tank run on carb day, and the car created a lot of vibrations and, and went really loose, and we would have had to pit probably 
halfway through, probably lap 15 or so, which I think is exactly what you saw play out with Scott Dixon in the race yesterday. And, you know, the fact that we can go from starting 17th to, I don't know, we were 8th or ninth or something when we came in for our first pit stop. At that point, I told him we were way ahead of schedule. Um, from that point on, I knew once we got in that top six or seven and he could actually smell the front, that then his confidence level changes completely and, and uh, you know, really made a good day of it, obviously, from that point on. Tim, what was your message to Joseph when you got word that there'd be one more final red flag? That was It was as simple as that. We're going to get one, one lap to figure this out, you know? Um, you know, during the red flags and all that, because of you know the radios are public and that type of thing, and you don't you didn't probably hear a lot from us, um, you know, in terms of you know what we're thinking and, and what information we can give him. You know, most of that under red flag, we're, we're able to really relay to him, you know, through the chief mechanic that's actually at the car. So, you know, we're, we're talking to him in a different channel so that he. He can then relay to, to Joseph kind of what we're thinking and what we see and, and understand for the restart. So, um, yeah, it was really all on him. And I, I knew I knew we'd had a conversation earlier in the week, and he said, if it comes down to it, I know what I'm going to do. And it was as simple as that. And I said, that's all I need to know. Were you surprised the red flag was thrown there one, one final time? No, no, especially with the way the, the caution occurred the, the time before. Because I, I think when you when you look back at it, had it not been thrown and at that point in time you wouldn't know where anybody was or who the winner was and i'm not sure how 300,000 people are going to react to hey let's have a video review to figure out who won this race under caution that's a fair point and there was a little bit of kind of a chaos there right tim of like wait a minute like where, where does everybody slot etc i'm curious oh, from well, your standpoint yeah um, well, he came, he came down on the final restart, or that restart. You know, he was a leader, which you, you knew wasn't going to hold. Um, but then it was a matter of, well, who is the leader, and how did it all sort out? And, you know, going into turn one, everybody passed. Well, a couple cars passed him, and he's sitting there P4 in line, which, you know, I knew wasn't right. I knew he was either first or second when the yellow came out, just watching it. And, you know, they've got to sort that out and sort a few other places out. But, the time that it took them to sort that out, when there was no action on the racetrack, everything was at a pause, um, that would have been the time that we would have all had to wait <laughs> under caution to understand who the winner was and what the lineup was, and it was going to be under caution after having all those fans wait for two other red flags. So, no, I, I wasn't surprised because that, that was going to have to be the way it was. Are you guys told – Tim Sendrick is our guest from – Team Penske, he's on the Payless Sugars Hotline. Are you guys, as as you know, team directors, team presidents, drivers, whatever it may be, is there a definitive like rule book that you know going into it of what defines what would constitute a red flag within the last like let's say five or ten laps of a race? You know, if they does that make sense? What I'm asking, I guess. I mean, do you know pretty well, definitively this is going to be red because we talked about it before the race? Well, not. I think it's it's very, uh, I guess, open to the the point where, you know, if if there's a, a possibility for us to go red flag and finish the race under green, we will, and we'll abandon all procedures at that point in time. Gotcha. So I mean that that's as clear. I mean it basically says, hey, we're going to do whatever we can to give them a green flag finish. And unlike NASCAR, 
you know, we're not going to go to a green-white checkered and overtime and that type of thing. We're going to finish it at, you know, it's going to be a 500-mile race. And, you know, you can be on both ends of that. I've, I've been on both ends of that as well. And, and it's, it, it is what it is. And, you know, I, I think it's no different than when you watch a NASCAR race and green-white checkers and all that happen. And, you know, the, the one that had the race in the bag or, or was in a better position um, you know, sometimes isn't the one that's in the best position at the red flag situation. So, um, yeah, it is what it is. You know, I, I don't think the fans would complain about how it all turned out, regardless of who they wanted to win. You know, seeing Indy finish under yellow, which we've we've seen many times, is is a difficult thing. And you know, that that race could have finished under yellow as well. You know, we could have wrecked on the front straightaway, just like the previous restart, and we would add a different winner. Tim. So, the reality is that there was a time that you were a kid at Pike High School who presumably maybe plotted with the now governor of Indiana, Eric Holcomb, a day that you could cut out early to go watch practice at IMS. And here it is now, you're the president of a team for the guy that owns the Speedway who just won the 19th team Indianapolis 500. You're immortalized inside the museum that sits inside the facility as part of the Hall of Fame. With all of that, is there still that little part of you that's the kid from Pike Township that gets that same giddiness when he comes out of the tunnel? Or has it become a robotic and constant vision of victory and that's it? Or are you allowed to truly feel everything that that you're able to do? Oh, it, it, it never gets old. You know, I have to... I don't know. It's, it's pretty surreal in some ways, you know, when you look at all the things you said, and in addition to, you know, my relationship with, with the governor, um, still hard to call him the governor, but anyway, um, <laughs> you know, I mean, there's a guy that I went to spring break with, you know, throughout high school and, you know, played in the backyard. And as he said, you know, rode our bicycles, traded baseball cards. I mean, just you name it, you know, the, the two of us, you know, we're same age, same neighborhood. And you know, that's when you drank out of a hose, right? <laughs> um, but no, but the, I don't know, for me, kind of, I couldn't have written a, I guess a, a better script for, you know, how my, my life from a per- professional and personal perspective is, is really panned out. And, you know, we had the chance when Simon Pagano won Indy and we were invited to the White House and, you know, he and I were standing there in the Oval Office with President Trump looking at each other going, what the hell are we doing here? <laughs> um, no, it's it's pretty surreal, really. Tim, we just had Joseph Newgarden on with us and I thought he was extremely candid in mentioning, you know, I, I, I'm sure he had these conversations with you of there were times given Team Penske's rich history that he felt like a disappointment that he hadn't gotten it done at the 500 and he watches Will Power in 2018. He watches Pagano, like you just said, the following year. When Joseph had those conversations with you, what was kind of your reaction and could you describe maybe how Joseph you know, was in those moments of saying, boy, I, I've done so much, but this is the one that's missing. It really was to try and turn his head around to, to the positives because you watch him go to any other oval that we go to, right? I mean, he dominates Iowa, Texas, Gateway, all these places. And, you know, fear isn't a factor. Either. There's some drivers there that Indy is intimidating, you know, from a risk and reward perspective. But he's not one that lives that way. So 
you know that's not it. Where with some of these guys, you know that's in the back of their mind at times, and you know you, you don't know till you know whether they're going to put it on the line or not. And you know, I knew yesterday once he sniffed the front, I knew it was going to be checkers or records for him. Um, you know, he, he was not going to let that opportunity get away. You know, without giving it absolutely everything, and thankfully it didn't come to that. But that's where he was after the race. He told me that he said, "I there was no way I wasn't coming back with this check without this checkered flag. Um, if if I came back, it was going to be on a record." Um, so now I we've always had the full confidence in him, and it really it was a matter of him keeping that confidence. And you know, you can talk about physics and and race setups and all that other stuff. And we had a great car. You have to have that, but really, this place is about getting drivers like him the confidence that they can do it. And you know, he he had that. You know, I, I could tell race morning that he was in a, a mindset of calmness. And you know, he he knows what's on the line. You don't have to put any pressure on him. He he puts more on himself, really. Tim, my last question for you would be this: When you go back to when Joseph, you know, it seemed like just an inevitable fate that Joseph Newgarden was going to end up with Team Penske and that when he did, he would win the Indy 500. But when you go back to when he was a first coming through the ranks, whether it be in the then Indy Lights, which is now Indy Next, or when he was driving for Sarah Fisher and then Ed Carpenter and that combined team and then Ed Carpenter Racing. But before you signed him, can you recall for me the moment was there a moment where you saw Joseph Newgarden race as a young racer before he was an employee of yours and said, that's the guy we need to get, that guy's different? When he got upside down at Texas and got out of that thing and, you know, was racing the next week, at, I think it was I think it was Elkhart Lake or whatever with a, the broken, the broken wrist. wrist, yeah. Um, I think I have that right, but... After he got upside down in Texas and the way he came back after that, his mindset, you knew this this, this guy was different. Because you don't get in that kind of accident and, you know, take the approach he took, you know, to get to the next step. And what drove him, you know, to figure out how to stay in the car, how to succeed and, and what he went through to do that without being special was there concern that indianapolis was going to be the one mental obstacle for him that he would not be able to to shake until you do it i think it's always a concern but uh that that doesn't mean you don't have the confidence that it can get done right i mean I, i think that there's a difference there and you know without a doubt you know from internally it was really a matter of all of us you know, being sure he understood that hey, this wasn't this was about us being sure we gave him what he needed to win the race. Tim, last one for me. What were you thinking when you saw Joseph park that car in the yard of bricks, and all of a sudden he's venturing through gates and fences? I didn't even know it was possible to get to the crowd at IMS. I, you know, I learned something yesterday because I, uh, I. <clears throat> You know, obviously I was there when when Elliot was the first one to stop on the front straightaway and climb the fence. And so, you know, for me, I I walked there and I I got to the fence and the guys were on the fence and I like trying to find the driver, right? (laughs) He's the one with the helmet on, I think. And 
I don't see the driver. And then I see him on the other side of the fence. And then I'm like, well, how did he get there? So I never saw him go under the, excuse me, under the fence. So it, it, it took a little bit for me to understand really what was going on there. <laughs> pretty cool moment. It was pretty cool. Certainly uh, told the full story there. Tim, congrats. I know these don't, you know, you obviously have, this is not your first time, but I'm sure it doesn't get old, and especially watching Joseph get that kind of off his back had to be pretty, pretty special. So congrats. Enjoy the celebration as you obviously will shift to Detroit at some point this week, but enjoy it, Tim. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me, guys. It's Tim Sendrick, president of Team Penske, right there on the Payless Liquors Hotline. Tim Sendrick, by the way, noted Guns N' Roses fan. Really? Oh, yeah. Yeah, should have asked him if uh, he can use his juice now to get Guns N' Roses to IMS. He's had a hell of a career. Greatest band ever assembled. Mark. Mark is staring at the floor. I'm not just, I mean. Is that a debate we should get into here on on this Monday holiday? I thought it was interesting, Jake, the line. You know, about Joseph and this place and ovals in general, fear is not a factor. You know, for how many of those drivers, obviously they are in like the one, you know, point one percentile of they obviously have no fear. But to do some of the passing and the moves that you see yesterday to be in the top five late in the race, to be one of the final few standing, you've got to be in the point one percentile of that point one percentile to make sure that you have that opportunity and, you know, when he didn't do it down the main stretch, that was the last chance, Jake, right in front of you pretty much. And he goes to the outside and pulls it off. And it's certainly a last lap that we'll remember for decades and decades. Yeah, I can't really even remember the pass. Like, it happened so fast, right? I thought he gained so much on him in between one and two. He did. Well, he and he really, you know, going into three is a great passing zone. And, you know, guys... Try to get a run, and he did, and he made it stick. And he made it stick by getting creative, going down the front stretch, coming off four. But that was a cool moment, for certain, cool moment. And you know what? Kudos and credit to Marcus Erickson, who put himself in position and did everything that he could to win that race, and I think absolutely showed his competitiveness by standing up for himself about the ruling of the red flag, but also did so in a classy fashion by saying that he understood the accomplishment of Joseph Newgarden. And Jake, in the modern era, we don't just, we don't have back-to-back winners. Correct. I mean, Elio, you know, I mean, it's... 21 years since it happened, and it had been 31 years before that. Just, you know, it's not like you don't have a ton of moments where guys are really knocking on that door even to have the opportunity to be close, and he was... Right there with a golden opportunity, certainly there, late in yesterday's race. So Joseph Newgarden on the podcast, Tim Sendrick on the podcast, Doug Bowles coming up in the 9 o'clock hour. We'll continue to chat about certainly a dramatic fill, 107th running of the Indianapolis 500. Kevin Aquari here on Memorial Day Monday. Thank you to Joseph Newgarden and Tim Sendrick. I just had them on. Those will be up on the podcast. Doug Bowles coming up here. At 9.30. By the way, I would like to thank Kate Davis with IndyCar and my buddy David Hovis with Penske Racing, who lined up those two interviews for us. Yes, thank you. Uh, Uh, Obviously, Newgarden and Tim Sendrick as well for their accommodation, but um, I can only imagine the number of requests and and things that that they all have going on. So um, many thanks to the professionalism of both for delivering in very short order. Jake, I thought an interesting thing Tim Sendrick just shared with us was his concern exiting Carb Day of could we have the same thing happen to us in the first stint yesterday that we saw with Scott Dixon? I mean, Jake, I'm watching Scott Dixon 
getting just plucked one by one throughout that first and, and, stint. And it was like a light switch, right? Like he went from running like really well to all of a yeah. sudden like, whoa. It's like every half lap he's getting passed. And I'm like, what is going on here? And obviously the decision that Ganassi had to think about in terms of, you know, when are they going to pit? And I think I stayed out there probably a little bit longer than Dixon wanted. But Newgarden, I thought, and I was going to ask him, Cindric, this, but I think he kind of answered it in one of the questions. Just how according to plan did yesterday go for you? And it sounded like once I got through that first stent, I thought it was just kind of a methodical build of the front. Like Newgarden didn't have any like crazy restarts where he passed five people or they didn't do some wild fuel or tire strategy to where all of a sudden, boom, here we are in the top of the field and the yellow fell in our way. It was just kind of a, all right, 17th to 14th in the stint, 14th to 12th in the next 12th to 9th, and then like just kind of slowly but surely they built and built and built. And then when you got to the end, you know, you kind of had the handful of drivers pretty much up there all day long. Erickson, Ferrucci, Newgarden, and then I'd throw the two aero cars in there that ended up both crashing out. I guess maybe Rossi, but I would throw Pato and Felix up there as well. I thought Pato was the one. Man, late in that race, you know, all of a sudden, when Pato made his final pit stop and came out, and I'm like, wait a minute, he's in second? Holy cow. Like, I, I thought, and, and I'll give Pato credit for going for it there, you know, in turn three, um, in the battle for second at the time, I think it was. But I thought Pato was the guy that was in the catbird seat. I wanted to ask you this because it happened right in front of you, Jake, that move by Pot on the inside of Erickson. I know it was the opposite end of the track from last year, but when that happened, I leaned over to my brothers-in-law and said, I think that is Pato trying to do something he maybe regretted a little bit last year. That's a really good call. Yeah, that's a really good call. Same driver, Marcus Erickson. Again, opposite ends of the racetrack. The move is different. It was an inside move in front of you yesterday. It was an outside move that he pulled back on last year with Erickson, and that Erickson then held the lead the rest of the way. And again, I'm not going to pretend like I know Pato Ward super well, Jake, but he does seem like a guy that certainly he he's going to have some urgency, to say the least. And I just felt like at, what was that, lap 193 for you, 194, something like that? That probably wasn't needed at that time. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. It if was, he hadn't been there last year, does he have that same sort of urgency? I will defer to Davey Hamilton, who has not only been on the headset calling races, but has raced in the race. And Davey said, "Yeah, that's on Pato. He 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 went he went too aggressive when he didn't when he should not have." And again, if he finishes sixth last year and isn't in that moment, does he maybe Great. not have that same thought process? Yeah, that's a, that's an outstanding observation. Um, somebody asked me this question, which is really good, and I want to expand on it a little bit, um, about Santino Ferrucci. Actually, we'll do it on the other side because Perfect. there's something interesting about him that I want to point out. So we'll do that Boy, when we come you, back talk here. Talk about the cheers for Ferrucci yesterday. I know. It's Kevin and Quarry, 93.5, 107.5, the fan. So Joseph Newgarden wins the 107th running of the Indianapolis 500-mile race. And most importantly, that means another name's got to go on my helmet. Oh, I didn't think about that. Got to coordinate that now. Joseph Um, with an F. Should have asked him while we had him on. I know. I think you'll run into him here between now and the end of the year. That's right. 
<laughs> um, hopefully, right? As long as he doesn't hear what your original pick was. No, I'm t- listen. <laughs> I told you that was tape before Carb Day. Okay, I, honestly, I did have a feeling that Rossi was going to win the race for a long, and then, admittedly, I saw. You did say Friday. I think Friday mm-hmm. at the start of the show, you go. You and I both said Rossi, and then you said Newgarden as your as as the other choice. This is before Carb Day, to be fair. It was you know Carb Day morning, right. and then I said my second choice was Pato. Yeah, once I saw the way that because there was concern about where he was starting for certain, and once I saw the way that he was working in traffic on Carb Day at the end of the session, I was like, I told Nicky Oman, and then and when we were at the parade, when they went past. You know, when when we go to the parade, Shannon's always like, "Now who's which? Which one's which?" And da da da. And Newgarden was in the middle, I think. But I I pointed to Newgarden and I go, "That guy right there is going to win the race. That there's your race winner." I just I felt like there was so much pressure on him every year to win it that if he was going to finally win it, then and for those that don't know, Joseph Newgarden winning the Indy 500 was like Peyton Manning winning the Super Bowl. Yeah. Phil Mickelson's first major. Correct. Like it was it was not a matter of if but when. And so I felt like if he was going to do it, it was going to be a year where he was f- kind of off the radar, which he was to a great extent this year. Now you asked a question before we get to the Ferrucci question. You asked a question um Mark Yes. Go ahead and, so, and what you asked off air. We played that rejoinder and when uh Kyle Kirkwood flipped upside down on the broadcast. It shows him flipping his visor up as he's skidding upside down. Right. It's a said, great camera he? shot. Yeah, I was like, it looked horrifying. I was like, why would he flip his visor up at that point? Because I was worried about the shrapnel or like sparks or something getting in his eyes, and he flipped the visor up as he's still creeping well, upside, upside down. Correct. So the drivers are instructed and basically trained that when they have an incident. If they are awake and alert, they are to flip up their visor so that if it's a multi-car incident, when the AMR safety team gets there, if they are assessing two different drivers, so so let's say I'm the safety team and you and Kevin are in an accident and you come up and you have flipped your visor up and Kevin's is still down. Like, then Ro- I, like Rosenquist's could have been down correct. at that point. So, yeah. that me, so then I know, okay, we need to give our attention to Rosenquist because Mark has indicated that he is awake and alert. So gotcha. he so my assumption is that that in a crash like that it's happening so fast that he's probably in a little bit of like a, a, an instant shock but mm-hmm. he realizes okay I'm supposed to flip my visor up because I am awake so that's why he flipped it up. Can you gotcha. imagine like having that thought process? Yeah. Oh yeah, I need to flip that up. Oh, and I'm also upside down. Upside down at 200 miles an hour. There's sparks going on. I'm in the middle of the track. Hopefully no one hits me. <laughs> that, that, that whole and Kyle sequence Kirk, was wild. Kyle Kirkwood had a nice run, Jake. He was he up did. there for a he while. He did, man. And I'll tell you what, his car was starting to to play nice. I mean, he, he had a nice car at the end there. Um, hey, Jake, is Santino Ferrucci going to be a driver that always is just hovering in the top 10, or does he have what it takes to get it done one day? That's a fabulous question. And here is the answer with Santino Ferrucci. I think Santino Ferrucci is massively talented and a super likable guy. 
and just a little like Santino Ferrucci is like the, the my mom's a preschool teacher and there's always the one kid in preschool that's just nonstop energy. When my when I was little, before I was born actually, but my parents there was a neighbor, a next door neighbor kid they called Grenade because whenever he came in the house, it was like a grenade went off, right? <laughs> oh, Santino Ferrucci is like a nickname. Santino Ferrucci is like Grenade, right? Just like he's just this constant energy, always upbeat. But and I'm not saying this is fair or right, but there's a but, and I think he I think he knows this. Ferrucci was running in Europe, and he was in one of the latter series for Formula One. Formula Two, I think, is what he was in. Formula 3000, maybe. I can't remember the series, but he he got into some trouble over some alleged remarks that he had made about a teammate of his that were deemed to be, I, I don't know if it was racist or just inappropriate, whatever. And then he was fined for that, and then allegedly, not saying he did so, but allegedly later, he pulled his car on the pit road and pulled out a cell phone to show that, I don't know, I, I don't remember the exact things, but he got into some disciplinary problems. Didn't he like wreck his teammate on the parade lap I, or something? I think that's what it was, yeah. And it cost him not only, you know, like disciplinary action within the series that he was racing in, but ultimately cost him his job, I believe. So he came with a little bit of a stigma when he got into racing in the United States. And that stigma as, you know, you got the wild hair and and I love this about him. I mean, all of what I'm saying, now that part I'm not saying, but like the, the, the his, his, his wild child streak, his grenade, that part I love about him. Yeah, that's why he's on our Mount Rushmore guests. Right. I mean, he's, he's super fun, right? He's got kind of wild hair, and he's always upbeat, and he, you know, he reminds me of Buddy Rice. Like, Buddy Rice was like wearing flat-brimmed hats and socks up halfway up his calf before anybody else was with shorts and airwalk tennis shoes. And Santino Ferrucci's the kind of guy that would show up at the victory parade, or excuse me, at the victory banquet wearing... A tux and Air Jordans. You know what I mean? Like, he's that kind of guy. So, Santino Ferrucci, 1,000%, undeniably and unquestionably, has the talent to win the Indianapolis 500. The question is going to become whether or not he lands a permanent ride with, and I'm not saying A.J. Foyt Racing can't win the Indy 500. And he is full-time this year. I know some people are were confused by that. He is full-time. But to be able to give yourself consistent knock-on-the-door chances at the race... Typically, it. I'm not going to say you have to, but it certainly helps to be running for Arrow, Andretti, Penske, or Ganassi. And those teams are very buttoned up. And so that would be the one thing that may hold him back if he doesn't eventually get an opportunity with one of those teams. He's always going to be kind of playing underdog. And with A.J. Foyt Racing, which is obviously put him in position to get a top five, their first top three finish since LSAO Salazar as a team. Getting seven clean pit stops with that team is probably, while not impossible, a bigger feat than it would be with Ganassi or Penske or Arrow. I mean, that's kind of what it comes down to. Yeah, I mean, if you look at Ferrucci this year, Jake, he was 11th at Long Beach. It's only top 20 besides yesterday. Um you know, two things. First off, I thought the cheer for him, it might not have been a Canon or a Daily cheer or an Elio cheer, but it was pretty darn close in driver intros when he got to the lead. I'm sure his paint scheme, 
you know, that car stands out to the vast majority of people. Paint scheme's pretty awesome. Yeah, in the um, in the facility yesterday. The other thing I've thought about is this. I mean, by all accounts, isn't Alex Pillow leaving Chip Ganassi Racing for Aero McLaren? Correct. Marcus Erickson is a free agent. It sounds like there is some debate about where he could end up. And obviously, Marcus Erickson, what he did yesterday, has only strengthened any sort of leverage that he has from a contractual standpoint. Could there be some openings, either singular or plural, at Chip Ganassi Racing? I don't know if Chip Ganassi strikes me as a guy that would be all in on Santino Ferrucci. And you'd be betting a little bit there, Jake, because you know he hasn't had a full-time season very often. Yes, he's raced great at the 500, but it's not like he has, you know, whatever. Uh, podium finishes at, at, at other tracks. Um, but, boy, I to me, that seems like a stock that I would want to bet on. I'm telling you. And, and I think he's admittedly, he's matured a little bit from those days that we talked about earlier. And, and I'm telling you, he, you know, Calabro, Dave Calabro late in the race, because I could hear this, that, you know, they, they – I don't know if you noticed, they put in new speakers at IMS. Yeah, PA system. Those speakers are, I mean, they're outstanding because I had the headsets on. You know, I'm, I'm up there broadcasting. I'm like, holy cow. You know, you know, it was, you could hear it clear as a bell, right? Um, Calabro did the thing late in the race where he's asking, you know, who's rooting for this driver? Who's rooting for that driver? And I, Ferrucci might have gotten the loudest applause. Yeah, late in the race, it might have been He, he or Pato. He, he or Pato got the, I mean, it was like, holy cow. I mean, but how can you not like the dude, right? Actually, you know what? Can I humble brag here? Why stop now? I say, I, I, I don't think you've ever stopped yourself from doing that what? before. I don't I mean, know why you would ask before. It seems unfair. Thankfully, it's a holiday audience, and not many are going to hear it. Although the podcast, I do think, will be. Uh, hey, Jake, didn't Felipe Giafone get a top three with AJ Foyt? I don't know if Giafone got a top three, but when he did so, um, it would have been with Mo Nunn, I believe. The year that uh, the year that Giafone of the Castro Nevis and Paul Tracy year, Giafone, I believe, was with Mo Nunn that year. Uh, but I, I had texted Ferrucci. This is why you love Santino Ferrucci, okay? This is why you got to love Santino Ferrucci. I don't know Santino Ferrucci, right? I mean, like, I'm not sitting here saying, like, he's a buddy of mine. I know him professionally from doing this show and doing the radio network. That's it, right? But it's difficult after the race because, as you guys know, we always try to get, like, let's get somebody that was also a storyline in the race. But it's like 7 o'clock after the Indy 500. The PR people are, you know, feverishly working. It's hard to line stuff up through the PR people at no fault of theirs just because they got a lot going on. So I sent him a text that just said, I can go through, insert name of PR person, if I need to, but I thought I'd go straight to the source in case they're busy. This is Jake Query. I do not expect him to know my name, but he would know the show probably. Wanted to see if you could again give us a few minutes on our morning radio show. You're a show and now fan favorite. I sent that at 10 o'clock last night. I get the following response. Thanks, buddy. If you could go through them, that would be great. Things are still pretty hectic at 3.09 a.m. <laughs> oh, my goodness. <laughs> That's why you love uh-huh. Santino Just Ferrucci. left Rock Lobster. The siren is blaring. <laughs> heading, heading across the street to Hot Box to grab some pizza. <laughs> That's why you love Santino Ferrucci, right? Uh, Joey Molinaro says this, and I'm curious if you agree on this, Jake. 
and this would strike a little bit of a balance across generations, I think, with Santino Ferrucci. Joey goes, how much of that cheering is because he's in that 14 ride? That's people, exactly... People I said that. see, yeah, people want to see Foyt back in victory lane. Yeah, no, Joey, um, I think that's there's a lot of truth to that because we were discussing that over the intercom. Myself, Nick Yeoman, Michael Young, Kristen Airy, um, and we're like, man, what a roar for Ferrucci. And Nick and I both were like, well, part of that has to be because it's A.J. Foyt, right? Yeah, I think the, the, the combination of Foyt, what the car looks like, and again, the youthful energy I think connects to the people. The youthful energy in, is a great way of saying it. You know, in kind of more of my or Mark's age group. We, we mentioned this earlier. Jake, it's the first time in quite a few 500s where I look at the top 10 and I don't think a single one of them you would characterize as surprised that they were there. Agreed. Now the question becomes, which of the top 10 did you hear the least about over the course of the race? Newgarden, Erickson, Ferrucci, Palo, Rossi, Dixon, Sato, Daly, Herda, or VK? Sato. Yeah, 100%. Which is kind of wild to say about him. I wonder if that was Sato. Now, here's another one. It's another fun game to play. I mean, hell, VK got VK, so. How many drivers yesterday? I can't believe did, VK got top 10 after his antics. How many drivers yesterday did we see their final Indianapolis 500? Ooh. Hmm. Well, certainly the man that finished 16th, right? Mm-hmm. Or was it 15th, wherever he finished? Well, I guess I should clarify, because the other older gentleman finished next to him. Kanan's last. Elio, not his last. I would agree with that. Um, What's the situation for the guy who almost got in the top 10, Ryan hunter Ray? Excellent question. I think, he, I think hunter Ray absolutely proved... That he merits somebody giving him, you know, the 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 proverbial one-offs at the very least, right? He's forty-two. Mm-hmm. I didn't realize he was that old. Yeah, I'll put it this way: Hunter Ray. If Hunter Ray wants to return, I think there will be opportunity for him to do so for certain. Marco's last. At at some point, you have to start ex- exploring that, right? Would not surprise me if that's... Although Marco, it does feel like, is one that would announce it ahead of time so that we know that it's like his last 500. Because of just the fact it's in... You know, let's face it. When Marco... When Marco retires, I mean, that ends a streak of... I I mean, what would it be? Yeah, how long does that go back? 61 years of an... I mean, you know. I mean, for... uh, of an Andretti at least being trying to qualify for the race. I think it's a day that he didn't love yesterday. Um, I believe a penalty on pit lane, and then uh, Benjamin Peterson, I think, uh, caused that final wreck that took him out of the race. But he said to us on Friday at Carb Day, Jake, this is definitely, he's got several more in him. But uh, Ed Carpenter finished, what was it, 20th? 20th. 20th. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's why I didn't is, think is of him because he said he was going to still. That would be the one that he would race. Right? Is there someone that um that that we're missing here, Jake? Uh, I mean, obviously some of these. In the, I mean, is Catherine Leg going to race again? You know, what's Able Motorsports look like in a year with RC Enerson? Yeah, Stingray Rob might have been a one-off. Um, although I thought he did an okay job, but that that crash was you know come on. Um, Jack Harvey. I, Harvey, I could see being. I, I think Jack Harvey is going to lose his ride with Ray Hall Letterman. But I could see Jack Harvey being a guy. Doesn't that team just need to go back to the drawing board in general? Well, yeah, no doubt. But I could see Jack Harvey being a guy kind of like um, 
like what Jared Hildebrand's become, you know, a guy that just gets a one-off each year or, or gets an opportunity or a ride opens. You know, Tristan Vodier did that for a couple of years or like Jay Howard did that for a couple of years. You know, I think Harvey will get opportunities, but I don't know that he's going to be a full-time guy. So what we know about next year right now, and again, we're 364 days, but um, we really enjoyed yesterday, so we'd love <laughs> for it to speed up. Uh, we know Kyle Larson for Tony Kanaan, is that right? Uh, that is correct. And then obviously we'll have to see. And Larson was there yesterday. What else? Yeah, they uh, they interviewed him on the um, on the big screen, well, or maybe it was just over the PA. I know Ryan Marine did on radio. I mean, maybe that's what it was. Gosh, they all run together. Uh, I thought I, he was on the big screen. I, I, th- I think he? that's what I saw. I enjoyed the Tony Kanon tribute from the drivers. I thought that was a nice touch. Um, you, you, you could tell a lot of them are kind of ribbing them for. Are you really retiring? Right. And I know I said this to lead off the show, and I probably said it in the 8 o'clock hour as well, but that, that back home again Indiana flyover with how low those planes were. I mean, you talk about chills. You know, okay. So, obviously, I think everybody knows, I mean, hell, we put them on the air, about the Australians, right? So, Michael was up in the perch with me, and then his two cousins, his brother-in-law, his workmate, and his two best friends from high school, so seven of them, were seated just below us. And occasionally they were looking up at us and waving and whatever. So to give a perspective from the other side of the planet about the Indianapolis 500, there were two moments where it was very clear that though that the Australians were like, holy cow. Would you like to guess the two moments, Mark? The flyover, and I'll say Kyle Kirkwood's crash. That's a really good guess. Yeah, I was going to say maybe it was there a flashing incident around <laughs> them. That, that that was my only other guess. <laughs> they did. I was at the snake pit. Yeah, they, they, I, I, you know, lap one twenty. Let's head over to that concert in there. They did comment. They did go walk around between like lap fifty and lap one hundred and fifty. I don't blame them. Yeah, I mean, sure. You, but they um. So the, when the flyover happened, so I knew because I had the minute by minute. So I knew that the flyover was coming back. And I said, I go, just wait. Because I, I pointed to Michael because when you're up where we are, the flyover comes from the north, the northwest. Mm-hmm. So you can see it coming from, you know, a mile away. So I said to Michael, I'm like, hey, here comes the flyover. And then he was like, wow, you know, whatever. And I and the Aussies like down in the row were looking up like, Ooh, you know <laughs> so then I said just so you know it's coming back and he's like what do you mean I'm like just wait so I knew so then all of a sudden then they were coming from the east so they were coming from behind us so literally like we saw it before anybody saw it coming and he's trying to yell down he's like literally up in the yeah. perch trying to yell down like they're coming back <laughs> they're, they're like, so that moment there but the other moment and this is the first time this has happened to me. I don't know why. Maybe I was tired. I don't know why. I always have, uh, during taps, I always think about my grandparents, my great aunt, my great uncle that all lived in Speedway. I always think about them during taps. And yesterday was the very first time that I actually did like kind of well up. I've never had that happen. I don't know why it was yesterday versus the previous 37 of them I've been to, but it did happen. But during taps, 
I looked over at, like I was standing there stoic, and as soon as it was done, I looked over at Michael, and he held his arm up, and the the hair on his arm was standing straight mm-hmm. up. And he's not, I mean, and he's not American. Right. But he but mentioned he, that to us on Friday, Jake, the patriotism correct. that he already felt. And that was Friday. Yeah. You know, that, he, that yeah. hadn't even gotten to Sunday pre-race. I tell you what, I, I, I welled up at the video right after Taps. The video of the families discussing, you know, who who, who they had lost. That, right. that, that was right after Taps, right? I think that's right. Um, That's where I, and I don't remember that being played at that time. I don't remember that. I mean, I remember we've seen some, you know, family-related military videos right. before, but I don't remember it at that juncture of the uh, pre-race. Doug Bowles is going to join us here in five minutes. Just a couple of rundowns on some figures from yesterday, from a historical standpoint. Um, again, five laps led for Joseph Newgarden. That's the third fewest for a winner. Dan Weldon, of course, just led one in 2011. Joe Dawson in 1912 led two. 14 drivers led at least one lap yesterday that ties 2013 for the second highest total. You had 52 lead changes. That is the third highest. The margin, .0974. Newgarden over Erickson. That is the fourth closest 500 ever. 92-2014 and 2006. The only ones with closer finishes. And it's the third time in history that you had a last lap pass for the lead. Of course, Sam Hornish and Dan Weldon. Who's the most Being random driver that led laps yesterday? Mm. I've, got well, the, I've got the list right here. Are you ready? Probably going to be Eilat, right? Was it Eilat? I assume it was. Power led a lap. Pato led 39. Rosenquist led 33. Elio led one. Really? Yeah. Eilat uh, led five. Hunter Ray led eight. VK led 24, Herta led a lap, Sato hmm. led two, Rossi led four, Pelot 36, Ferrucci 11, Erickson 30, and Newgarden five. Boy, doesn't it feel like Pelot had such a great car? He did, man. That Which I know is stating the obvious. Oh, Kevin says the guy who was on the pole had a great car, but... And boy, just VK just lost it coming out of the pits there. He did, man. That car just went sideways. Oh, what the hell's he doing? God love VK, right? Again, patience over 500 BK clearly miles. had a good car, too, though. Yeah, he got back up there. He got to 10th. And that's something I think Santino Ferrucci should be commended for. Patience over 500 miles. You know, I was in some Indy 500 drafts and whatnot. I, and I was like, wow, Ferrucci's going that early? I, I wouldn't trust him for 500 miles. You know, what, you know what I should show you guys since you're all over me on this? My cousin... My cousin does one of those drafts every year. Uh-huh. And he's neurotic about it. And he starts blowing me up... Before carb after carb day, when you see the non toes, please send me who you think or the da da da. And on carb day, I should, should let me let me just show uh, Jake. I have said it before, the audio doesn't lie, and Mark has clipped it out, and I don't think you can argue against it. Right here, that was taped on Thursday for Christ's mm-hmm. sake. Right here, Friday twelve eighteen p.m. What what does the blue say to my cousin? You got to talk into the microphone. What what does the blue say there? It says New Garden, New Garden is going to win the race. Mm-hmm. Okay. Thank you. Go ahead. Looks like it's copy and pasted. <laughs> sent at 4.30 yesterday afternoon. Sent at, at 3.09 with Ferrucci's text. Uh, Doug Bowles in five. Let's lead off the morning check down with, you know, probably the best phrase in sports.
It was a fine Microsoft Paint job by you. Mark's oldest would be very impressed by that. Uh, game seven. That is tonight in Boston. Are we seeing history here? We are. Celtics are going to become the first NBA team to win after being down 3 nothing. Boy, Saturday night was wild. The Jimmy Butler foul, Al Horford fouling Butler, initially called a two, changed to a three. Butler hits all three free throws. And then you watch the final play for Boston, down one. If you would have told Eric Spolstra in the huddle, you're going to get a Marcus Smart three, he would have said, okay, where do I sign up for that? So he gets probably what he wants. It's not Tatum. It's not Jalen Brown. Smart shoots the three, but Max Strews not paying any attention to Derek White as the inbounder. And really, if you watch the replay, outside of Bam Adebayo, I don't think anybody on Miami actually blocked out there. Derek White, such a heady play, tips it into the buzzer. Season still alive for the Celtics, and they are a seven and a half point favorite tonight in Game Seven. I am intrigued to see Jimmy Butler the way he's been playing with his back against the wall in Game Seven. How he shows up tonight because he didn't have a very good. He was bad game in six. Game Six. Yeah, it was surprising they were still in it mm-hmm. given how bad he played. Uh, Reds over the Cubs eight five. Let me that's repeat. Sweep. That's Cincinnati a sweep. Reds, Reds beat the Chicago this Cubs. I don't think so. <laughs> that's a sweep. We can move along. I don't think. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. I think those are really? fake scores. They're okay. sweeping IMS today, and they were sweeping it. Orioles over the Rangers three. Two cute fellow with another yet another win. Hottest team in baseball, might I add. Uh, Indianapolis Indians short in. Columbus Clippers beat them 5-4. How about the Indiana Fever, by the way? Oh, Kevin's A's real quick. 11 games losing streak. <laughs> Duh. <laughs> Ripping and roaring. So the Fever ended, was it, did I see that right? Was it a 20-game losing streak? They beat Atlanta 90-87. to They're 1-2 and two on the year. Hey, dating back to last year. Yeah, that's right. They only won, like, how many games last year? 90-87, the Fever yesterday. Get the win. Uh, Malia Boston, 13-7 and seven for a pretty balanced scoring from the Fever. Grace Berger, six minutes. Played for her. You know if Malia Boston played for the Celtics, her jersey would say Boston, Boston? Doug Bowles on the other side. Uh, Kevin Aquari yeah, yeah. here. <laughs> all right, you have heard him on with us all month long here on Mondays in May. He is Doug Bowles, the president of the Speedway. Doug, first off, thank you for for joining us here um, each and every Monday. I think it's been great previews and, of course, I guess a little bit of a review here on this Monday. Uh, What's the early 18-hour debrief been from you and your crew out there? No, I, and first of all, I mean, we just thank you for having me on, and thanks for continuing to talk about the speedway that you guys do. But um, I don't know. The, the early debrief was the crowd was unbelievable. I think that was the biggest takeaway, just how many people really showed up and the energy level in the venue yesterday was just unlike anything I've ever seen. I've been this is my 47th race in a row, and and just to see how everybody uh, was so fired up, and I still every year get astounded that that there's not a sound in the place when taps is being played. It's just crazy, and um, you know I think generally, you know I think we feel we feel like it executed better than last year. We still obviously have traffic things. We had an accident at Crawfordsville Road at 465 in the morning, which you know you can't do anything about that, but that kind of begins the you know the challenge of then trying to get everybody in and out but um just felt like we executed a little bit better this year so that was good even on the concession side it felt like it was a little better still have some work to do but um and then the racing was you know the place just never never ceases to amaze the way that it decides how to have finishes what were the final grandstand and maybe overall attendance numbers i don't know exactly yet but it's three hundred thirty thousand ish so it was a it was a it's a really good crowd. A third of a million of people. A third of a million people inside this venue yesterday. It's crazy. You know, 
it's funny, Doug, and and I'm not. The reality is this: when you have that many people, let's be real here. It is impossible, literally impossible, is it not, to accommodate a smooth exit for all three hundred thirty thousand? I, I mean, that's just the reality, is it not? Well, yeah. I mean, and I, you know, I say that all the time. When when everybody three hundred thirty thousand people want to leave at the exact same time, and there's essentially you know, there's a couple of roads really that get out and you're ultimately, you're funneling down into just one or two easy ways to get on the interstate. It's, it's going to happen. And, and, uh, you know, I, I would, I would challenge other communities to be able to get people out as quickly as, as, as we do. I think our team, our team, our law enforcement do a great job of getting folks out. It's just, you're right. It's hard to do when you have that many people. Doug, Doug Bowles is our guest, the president of the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. Um, Let's begin with this then. <clears throat> Aside from that, and I agree, I thought yesterday was, I mean, I think it might have been more crowded to me to the eye than 2016. I know it wasn't, but it felt that way. I mean, I just was astounded at the sheer volume of it. But what areas, if you really nitpick it, what areas, what what did you walk away with concern of? I mean, other than the, the the parking, I get, but what are there areas yesterday that you thought these are still areas where we can learn? Well, I, I still, like I said, I think we were better in concessions, but I still think we can we can continue to get uh, to get better on that piece for sure. So that's that's one that you know that we just continue to focus on and try and try and make that better. I felt like our you know our open gate system where people walk through um, the metal detectors, which are called open gates. Uh, I think that went pretty well. I think there's a couple things we could tweak to make that um, even smoother. So, but but at the end of the day, I thought that was one of the one of the best things we've done in a while is to allow people to get in, be able to go through a metal detector, hold, keeping their coolers. So we want to continue to figure out how to refine that and make that work and make it simple for folks, but also know that we're keeping everybody as as safe as we can. Uh, so that was definitely one. And, you know, and then with an outdoor venue. You know, like like we start we start getting reports of bees at some point during the race. I mean, those are the kind of things that that you know you're going to have weird things come up, and that certainly was one of the strange things that happened yesterday. We had a little bit of a water pressure issue yesterday um, for about 45 minutes that that created some uh, issues in restrooms, and, and that turned out that it was an external water pressure problem that was just impacting the speedway. Uh, it may have been impacting others in the area, but. Um, you know, I, I feel like we. This is one of the the better years I think that we've had, and obviously there's always things to learn and get better with. And Doug Bowles with us, the president of the Speedway. Doug, as best you can, kind of walk us through the Kyle Kirkwood accident, the bouncing tire, and what transpired from there. You know, I don't know. I don't know that I honestly I haven't watched the accident enough to walk you through the accident itself. Jake's probably seen it more than I have. Um, yeah, I was actually um, standing on the second floor of the pagoda when the accident happened, and didn't really pay a lot of attention to it watching it. And then somebody says, "Hey, what, there's a tire off." And then we and so whatever, and, and I asked the question if anybody'd seen where it went, and nobody really knew. So I, I went into race control and and watched it on race control, and it was clear that the tire left uh, left the racetrack. So I got on a golf cart with Tyrone Garrison, who's our head of facilities, and. Uh, uh, a couple of state troopers and a, and another guy with me, and we got in the golf cart, flew through the golf course, and went out, out back there. And, and honestly, I didn't know what we were going to find, but I wanted to be there uh, to make sure if there were issues, we were handling it. And we were really blessed to 
you know, just had that tire land on a car and then go straight up in the air and hit basically hit a, hit a light pole as it went straight up in the air in the in the infield, or, and it just pushed it right back down to the ground. And so the good news is nobody was hurt, and we and uh, we had the, the gal who weird weird part about it, the gal who was working whose car it was her name's Robin was actually working for my wife. So um, that was really kind of bizarre, and, and uh, we spent a lot of time with Robin last night, getting her on the yard of bricks and having having some fun with her. And uh, she's gonna she's gonna she's gonna end up getting a new car. Um, but uh, you know, the biggest thing I think we just need is a series. Uh, the series just needs to sit down and understand how that came off. You know, Jake's been around long enough to know those tethers on those cars are really important and really effective. So it's odd that it came off. So we just need to figure out exactly what that is so that we can make sure it doesn't happen in the future. You know. Doug, it's interesting how the racing gods work, if you will, because it could have been tragic. We know that. I think everybody knows that. We can't hide from that. That's the one area of the racetrack where you have that gap, right? And in turn two, the wind gets tricky for the drivers because there's the, the, the grandstand between the grandstand and the suites. And thank goodness that's where that tire went. But I agree. I mean, I, I said earlier, I, I've been to 38 Indy 500s. I know that sadly that is we have had two times in the history of 107 runnings where uh, you know one of them wasn't even a spectator i mean a tire went outside the venue altogether Um, and that was you know 80 years ago but does it does it lead to exploration of any sort of revision of like the the fencing or whatever else or is it just kind of one of those fluke things that to be honest with you it, it comes down to, to work to examining the tethering because i know with every accident safety is then studied uh and becomes paramount yeah i think it's a little of both i mean i think the place where you know obviously the, the indy car folks will take a look at you know what caused that that wheel and tire and it's actually a wheel and tire and the half shaft was still uh, connected to it. They were, you know, all in one piece. What caused that to happen? Um, and then uh, for us, just understanding, looking at the video and figuring out if, you know, would it, would a higher fence, a reasonably higher fence, um, helped it. I mean, if, if I don't, I, I haven't seen it enough to know actually how high it was when it, when it cleared the, when it cleared the fence, um, and then we'll just figure it out. But I, absolutely, we, we got to look at both and figure out how to continue to evolve and be safer. Doug, you have 33 competitors in that race. All 33 would, if they were to win, make a deserved champion. Obviously, it is the you know it's the greatest race in the world. That said. It is not your job nor mine to play favorites by any stretch of the imagination, nor am I asking you to. Maybe a Connor I'm, Daly favorite would well, be. Well, yeah, Connor Daly probably, would yes, would be that. a favorite. That would be acceptable, Doug. But Joseph yeah, Newgarden will be a great champion. Would you agree? He will make a great champion and ambassador for the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. No, I 100% agree with that. I think that's 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 a really accurate statement. And I think, uh, you know, you saw the crowd's reaction uh, when he won. I mean, it was an um, amazing crowd reaction. And then. My biggest thing is that as the the promoter, you know, the president of the Speedway is when, whoever wins that race. I want them to embrace uh, the experience, and I want them to celebrate it in a way that uh, is fitting of how great this race is. And uh, I think the way he got in the grandstands and and celebrated, and you could just hear the emotion in his voice. And you know, I've been fortunate enough to know Joseph from a young age when he was racing go karts with Connor and. Um, they were running their Subarus together in the backyard and going out drifting in the snow and, you know, all those different things. So the two of them, Connor and Joseph, both are really close and, and, um, just really cool for Joseph. Cause I know that 
you know, the longer you go in your career and you don't win the Indy 500, especially when you're driving for Penske, you begin to wonder, am I ever going to win the Indianapolis 500? Am I going to be the next Lloyd Ruby or, you know, pick some of those guys from our history that were really, really good, Michael Andretti, guys that were really good and probably deserved to win the Indy 500 but never got to. Um, and it's, um, you know, I think for him, he, he knows that and it's probably a big relief and, and clearly he he's going to help celebrate it. Doug, I've got two before we let you go. And again, thank you so much for your time throughout the, this month. Um, the first one comes, I guess, a little bit late Friday night. It was a popular question I was getting from from fans. What happened with the Shaquille O'Neal uh, snake pit situation? Because, you know, I think at the start of the playoffs, Eastern Conference Finals going six games probably wouldn't have been the most shocking thing. So what was the issue there on him not showing up? So Friday morning, we got a message from his agent that said hey we've got this game now on saturday night and we think after the it's a late it's a late game there's an hour post show and then for him to get ready he's maybe on a plane by 1 30 or 2 and then you got a couple hours to indy he's in indy call at 3 30 so they were just kind of walking through with the challenges and then to be up and ready at nine and and so when that but he they didn't say that they weren't doing it they just were sort of it was kind of weird so we began first thing Friday morning, figuring out okay if he if he ends up not coming, what are we going to do? So we started spent a little bit of time Friday trying to chase down acts that were uh, that were available and willing to come. And the guy that helps us with our our music production actually does all of Dead Mouse's stuff. So we talked about getting Joel, or getting his name's Joel, but getting Dead Mouse, um, getting Dead Mouse to the racetrack, and he was going to be in Detroit, but he wasn't getting done with the show until three thirty in the morning, you know, Saturday night, Sunday morning. And then, so we just started looking around, and then about I don't know, must have been three or three thirty. About the time the concerts were beginning, um, Shaq's team said he just doesn't feel like he can do it. It's just going to be too late for him. So that's really how it happened. And then we ended up settling on Valentino Khan last minute, literally. And honestly, I literally just sent them the contract this morning. That's how late it was. I mean, it was just a handshake deal, um, and the con got the contract just was sent over to him about an hour ago. So. Um, yeah, we were disappointed, and you're right. I mean, obviously, you, they knew coming in that they were going to do, um, you know, that they they were going to have music. Actually, we'd asked we'd asked Shaq to play driver intro um, because we thought that'd be really cool, and he was really interested and wanted to. And they told us about two weeks ago, you know, let's not do driver intro because that's going to be even harder. Because at that point in time, they didn't know if they'd have he'd have a game that afternoon. Uh, so it's just been sort of a you know, just holding your breath, hoping everything worked out for Shaq, and, and unfortunately the, the timing just got us. Okay, and then the other one, and this is maybe more of a, a IndyCar-specific question, but could you walk us through how the red flag decision get, gets made if you are involved or, or know how that gets made? Well, it really does get made by IndyCar, but generally I think what happens is when, especially when you're, you know, if, when you're uh, close to the end of the race, for the 500, I think we all agree uh, internally, and I think most of our fans agree too, that, that the 500 miles, it, it, the, it, the integrity of 500 miles is really important. So a green-white checkered thing feels kind of hokey to us for the Indianapolis 500. But we do want to do everything we can to end the race under green or as close to under green as we can. So in race control, when something happens, um, the, the Jay and the team make a decision of go down, we can, we can go to a red flag, and, and get the things cleaned up and then, and then time to go back and, and get this race started and get to the finish. So it's really a game time decision that, that Jay and the team make inside of, uh, inside of race control. And, you know, we're doing everything we can to have a, 
have a finish under under green if we can because that's you know what the fans want but at the same time i, I don't want to get to a situation where it's a green white checker the indy 500 should just always be 500 miles doug i've been really worried since carb day because we were doing our show as you know in the pagoda plaza and a listener very kindly and very much appreciated uh brought up a beer that we had been talking about and, and so I had it sitting in front of me, and then Mark Miles walked by and asked if I was drinking, and then I got paranoid that I'm going to get fired. Can, can you can you let him know that that I was not actually drinking? While you were I was... really nervous about that. <laughs> totally, I still am. Yeah. Can you can you can you help it me out? It was all there, me, Doug. Doug. <laughs> can can well, you help me out, Doug? Yeah. Well, so uh, here's here's what you can say if somebody comes and tries to give you a hard time. So I was on on another radio uh, station with one of your one of our local sports guys um, on Carb Day myself. Uh, the on track was over, and I actually uh, sat down and and did drink a beer while on the air. Yeah. At so, We're all good now, but I but I had network but obligations as well afterwards, right? So here's, here's the question. So so the question. So uh, my, if <laughs> well, I had obligations too. I had to still work with a snake pit, get people in and out. But I, I felt like you know one Miller light wasn't going to be a problem. And then I always figured if some, if I did say even to the crowd there, I said, hopefully Roger doesn't walk by. Um, but my, <laughs> but, but my excuse would be, it's, you know, there, a Miller is a, is a partner of ours. So I was going to just say I was doing some partner support. So that's fair. That, that see, that's fair. So I, I don't have that out, but um, <laughs> lastly, Doug, let me say this, I, you know, I've made a lot of this. I, I, I've probably beaten this dead horse too often, but it's a good barometer. I had the seven guys from Australia that were here, and yep. I asked them last night after the fact. Matter of fact, I videotaped it. I said, what was your reaction? And they were totally overwhelmed by the tribute to our military, which I found interesting because they're not American. But they said yep. that that was an incredibly powerful thing that they had the highest appreciation for. They were like, the, the, it was the greatest truly the greatest spectacle they'd ever seen and they did not they couldn't grasp the enormity but more so they said the thing they loved the most was the friendliness and the overwhelming welcome they felt at the indianapolis motor speedway so i thought i'd pass that along yeah i appreciate that and and you know we all joke about yellow shirts and whistles and all that because back in the day as you and i know that was what what they did um you know, I tell our yellow shirt team here that they're they're oftentimes, uh, usually, they're the only interaction that a customer has with somebody that actually is the speedway, right? And so we expect them to be helpful and friendly, and and they're there to make sure people stay safe. And more importantly, they're to make sure people, you know, what's know what's going on, where to go, and just to be really to be really helpful. And and so I do think the culture of the way we interact with our fans has, has uh, changed, and I'm glad to hear that, that people are seeing that. Doug Bowles, president of Speedway, has been with us every single Monday here in the month of May. Doug, I know it's not necessarily a sigh of relief just yet for you, but hopefully a little bit of quiet time, quiet-ish time. I know you got certainly a lot of events the rest of the summer, but thank you for all your candor here over the last month. Well, thanks for having me, guys, and uh, we'll look forward to doing this all again in 362 days. Can't Start the wait, countdown. Man. Cannot the wait. Best. Thanks, Doug. <laughs> All right, thanks, guys. Doug Bowles right there on the Payless Liquors hotline. Jake, I assume Doug, among others, will be part of the Victory Banquet tonight, right? Correct. I love watching the banquet. Yeah, I always enjoy that. So that's coming up tonight. We'll chat about that. And then maybe Santino Ferrucci tomorrow? I'm hoping Ferrucci we can get him, yeah. I I think so. Maybe he'll be out till 3 a.m. tonight. (laughs) I love it. Catch him. 
coming home after a late night out there. Uh, all right, we'll do it one final time here. Kevin Aquari recapping the 107th running of the 500. For those just tuning in, the podcast will be up shortly. Joseph Newgarden, Doug Bowles, Tim Sendrick. Pretty loaded show here, recapping the 107th running. You know, Jake, I always enjoy this show. It's fun to kind of put a bow on it. It is, and I appreciate you guys also being willing to do it. Yeah, although, I don't know. Were we given a choice? <laughs> <laughs> I, I genuinely really love this month, and, and I hate that it comes to an end. I mean, I know, Jake, you're, you're, your knowledge and encyclopedia-like with everything that we discuss, but you know, someone that's lived in this market my entire life, you just you just grow to have this incredible passion, or at least I have grown to have this incredible passion, and I love it. It's one of my favorite days of the year, and for me, providing a little bit of fun yesterday while watching it, but then certainly to try and uh, provide some info for our listeners on it. May is always one of my favorites, man. It's my, my two weeks of relevance has come to an end. So I can get a nap now, which is nice. But I appreciate, Kevin, I love everything about the 500, and I certainly understand that the sporting aspect of it, I probably love more than a lot of people. I think everybody loves the event of it, right? Um, But it was a lot of fun yesterday to call the race. I appreciate everybody that listened to the race um, because we have so much fun doing it. And it literally is my favorite three hours. Calling the Indy 500 is my favorite three hours of the year. Christmas morning, birthday, whatever it might be, my favorite three hours where I feel the most comfortable and in my element is calling the Indy 500. And I wouldn't be able to do that if people didn't listen to it. So I totally appreciate that people did. Thank you to you. Thank you to Mark. Mark, I know you're a big, big part of booking so many drivers for us this month as well. So thank you on that. You're welcome. Well. Uh, favorite moment from yesterday, non-final pass. Is it the back home again in Indiana flyover? Is there another moment? The Australians, I'm, I'm sure, Jake. The Aust- I had so much fun with the Australians, man. They were so, so, so much fun. The parade with them was just The awesome. willpower video that you tweeted out was great. Yeah, power getting off the car and running and hugging them. I mean, we just had so much fun. But um, man. The parade was a great time, by the way. The parade's fun. I thought the pre-race is just so much fun. The first lap is my favorite moment, though. You know, um, I'm about to sneeze. I thought he was going to get. Emotional. I was not about to cry. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Um, the, the parade is cool. The, I, I, my favorite day of the year is the parade. Actually, my favorite three hours though is calling the race. Yeah, hmm. I would seven to ten with us. Yeah, yeah that works. <laughs> yep, noted, Mark. Right? Uh, hey, don't lose that Rossi audio. Um, I, I will say there was a moment at like 10 a.m. or 10:30 yesterday where I'm like, this is the best part of the month. Because, oh. because you know it's about to start, mm-hmm. and, and you obviously don't you know what it's. And then you think to yourself, yeah. "We're right on the heels of the worst part of the month." Right. In like four like, hours, we're like, "Can we oh get one God. more red flag?" Yeah. You know, on that end. So, a uh, genuine thanks to Mark, to Jake, certainly everyone that's helped us book drivers this month, and all of you for tuning in. So, if you are just now listening. And the podcast will be up, but we'll be back tomorrow. And all week long, hopefully Santino Ferrucci will join us. Uh, Memorial Day, thinking about everybody out there. We'll talk to you tomorrow.